0: I'm not a concept, Joel, I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. I'm not perfect.
1: I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you will. Right now I can't.
2: But you will. You know, you will think of things, and I'll get bored with you and feel trapped, because that's what happens with me. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Director's Club podcast. Wait, just Director's Club. I keep saying Director's Club podcast, and that's going to confuse everybody because the official title, the title that goes on our tax form, because uh, we're incorporated, apparently. No, the, it is, our official title is just Director's
1: Club. And I say choose your own adventure. Yeah. You can go either or for mm-hmm. me. Because okay, it started so out as is, Director's well, Club Well, I mean, podcast. if the
2: title doesn't matter, I'm going to go ahead and say this is the Cougar Town
1: Uh, Uh, no it's not. This is the Directors Club Podcast. I am Patrick Rappole. And I am Jim Laskowski. We have another spectacular guest on the show. We're so thrilled to be talking with Ryan McNeil. Hey Ryan, how's it going?
3: It's going well. How's it going with you?
1: Very good, very good. We're uh, thrilled to be discussing Michelle Gondry. Not Michael Gondry, Uh it's Michelle Gondry. So, uh... Yeah, um really quickly, you uh you host the the matinee cast um, and are there other things that you uh partake in writing-wise, blogging-wise other than the the matinee.ca where you can find uh, most of your work?
3: Oh yeah, most of the work is on the is on the matinee.ca and uh in the podcast you mentioned and it's um I actually haven't really listened to much of your show until this week because I can't remember which one of y'all I I emailed but last summer um another podcasting friend of mine from London uh we did a show uh, in in a similar vein where every episode was based on a director huh. so uh, you know and, and one of you guys i emailed when i was like hatching the idea i was like hey this is the idea i know it's a lot like your show but i just you know i didn't want you to find out about it <gasps> That's through, right. through row three people or through
1: your <laughs> film junk people i was yeah. like is
3: this is what we're doing and it's when i started listening to your show because i didn't want to basically parrot your ideas um it's the same sort of thing as i don't like read reviews on a film mm-hmm. until i write my own um, when I listened to yours, I was like, "Oh, it is so radically different from what we do because ours is much shorter, much uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more kind of get it out there in like thirty-five, forty minutes, and just kind of rattle through a director." Um, that it was, it was great to hear it and hear just like a different take on going right. through directors' filmographies. So there's, there's that one. There's also the the, the film locker, which uh, series oh, one, which right. wrapped. Uh, we wrapped that in August, and it was uh, thirteen episodes.
2: Oh, cool! Well, thank you. I mean. You know, thank you, thank you very much for the, yeah, was, kind words. Hold on, I'm just sending an email to our lawyers.
1: <laughs> Stand down. All right,
2: okay, we can continue.
1: Oh no, it's like I I've gone on record both here and uh, on the movie club podcast where uh, Ryan and I encountered each other as well, reviewing both movies entitled Crash, which was a which was a great time. I gotta say, even though I was like neg fiercely negative on both of them but I've gone on record as saying like mo- the, the the main reason for me starting this podcast was because of movie club you know I mean obviously they didn't just tackle one director but I like the idea of taking the book of the month club format and just you know with a little with a little bit of a twist yeah if you it's will. a great idea
3: that's yeah. uh, I, I enjoy doing those shows as well so for I sure can, I can certainly uh see why you guys drink this particular brand of kool-aid
2: exactly i I think I think the best Patrick thing about loves it is. grape Kool Aid. That's true. Um, with alcohol. I, I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I I do have about 750 milliliters of Manischewitz Kosher wine in me right now. So that's <laughs> awesome. But, but that is a, that's a whole different matter. No, I like I like the idea that our podcast does not live and die about based on what's happening right this moment. Mm. Yeah, because I've heard too many podcasts uh, where it's you know February and their episodes are just like. So that uh, that trailer for the big summer movie looks pretty good, huh? And like, they, but they don't like. There's no good movies out. They don't. They don't really seem excited about anything. I'm, I didn't. So uh, when Jim came to me with the idea, I was very happy. That it yeah. Was a well, to...
1: n- nowadays it's interesting that the fact that there's other podcasts that oh, you know, this cool thing is on VOD or you know Netflix Instant or whatever. It's hmm. like there's other things to talk about. Um, but a really interesting email uh, came to us from uh, a, a guy who's emailed us a couple of times. Jason Weinberg and he um he brought up the idea of he he listened to our breaking bad bonus episode and enjoyed it quite a bit and thought it would be a really cool idea for us to maybe just do this once a, maybe once a month or something to talk about one movie uh for like a bonus episode you know maybe like an hour long discussion and talk about it with spoilers and just, uh, you know, have a, you know, a very analytical discussion just on one recent movie that, you know, something like Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene would be really good because we haven't been able to, like, we had to sort of tiptoe around the ending of that movie and not give it away for people who haven't seen it. But if we did, like, a bonus episode where we do say, hey, spoilers, we're going to be talking about this movie in its entirety... That'd be a really cool idea. Thanks, Jason. It was such a good idea that I was kind of mad I didn't think about it. Like I kind of <laughs> resent. I resent you right now, Jason. Is what I'm saying. No, um, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, I, I don't have as much free time as Patrick does, but I am. I am so like wanting to contribute other um, other ideas from other, from listeners and stuff. You know, I mean. That's – I think that seems like the best bet for us to do, you know, even if it's us Skyping together or Skyping with another guest. Even the listener, if you're really passionately, you know, opinionated about a particular movie that maybe you disagree with us on, you know? Do you remember the –
2: do you remember way back when we did the John McTiernan episode Mm -hmm. and we got an email from the guy who runs a John McTiernan, um, (laughs) like, fan page? That's going to be be in uh, (laughs) clips episode. He – and it was kind of crazy because, like, he's – like he took it upon him like he found a french like small book that was written about john mctiernan that was only in france there was a, and he found it and then he took it upon himself to translate it like he's diehard and he said in his email that he would be willing to defend basic Like, it's, <laughs> wow yeah so i was, we should you know, find that Yeah, oh, we'll find guy. that guy we'll find that guy we'll do a basic episode <laughs> I would love nothing, that. Nothing
1: gets that. Nothing gets the blood pumping like the word basic. Basic, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, But you don't want me on for that episode. I'd just be making puns the whole time. Right. That plot was just very basic. <clears throat> <laughs> and we also got an email uh, writing in defense, speaking of somebody who disagreed... Um, This email comes to us from Eric, and he says, My name is Eric, and I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listened to the Gus Van Zandt podcast and was kind of struck by the review of Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie, in which the person did not like it at all, that being me. Um... Now I'm not arguing the fact that you did not like it because Tim and Eric is one of those things where I can completely understand why someone would hate it with a passion. The humor in their work is very surreal and off-putting, but that's kind of the, one of the reasons why I like it. Um he sort of goes on to say that he considers Tim and Eric to be revolutionaries. Um and you know that they they he, some people consider him to be a, a tra- them to be trailblazers of the comedy world, um, but he lo- he still loves our show and finds our arguments to be very knowledgeable and thanks very much, Eric, for the email. I w- Although I've, again, it's one of those things where I don't know how many times I use the word subjective when it comes to comedy and what you find funny. Right. So to me, that's kind of like beating a dead horse at this point. But I I find Tim and Eric to be funny. In very small doses and not for ninety minutes at all. Well,
2: and I, I would like to say, Eric. I, I believe Eric um, in his email he said something about how they spend more time sort of crafting the that too.
1: Yeah, um, can you go ahead and read that sentence? I don't think I have that right. In yeah, it's it says that the, the find that. Yeah, sorry, I missed this part. Um, it says the part that I find contention with is how you find that the show is very underwritten and looks like it was made Which is, in a matter of minutes. That's that is the that's what you said.
2: That's what I said.
1: Yeah. Which
2: okay. yeah, and here's and here's my here's my defense. Number one, I do not like Tim and Eric, and but I actually I read a, a piece on Gawker just today um, from someone who apparently was uh, forced by by Gawker to go see the film and review it, and they. Absolutely hated it. And they claim that Tim and Eric hate their audience and that they're only trying to mock the idea of comedy and all these things, which even as someone who doesn't who like genuinely hates Tim and Eric, I think it's ludicrous. Um, I, I would absolutely agree that they are trailblazing as far as I would say that they are doing something in a way that hasn't been done before. Sure. So that's that I that I'll agree with. Does I, it work all the time? Not, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, again, that's and then again, that's sub- subjective. It's like trying to tell tell someone, you know, it's like trying to tell a furry that foxes aren't sexy to them. <laughs> 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 to, you know, you can't you can't argue yeah. with them because it just is. That's um, why I don't get
1: all. Passionately defensive when somebody says they don't find Wet Hot American Summer very funny,
2: right? Which is, I'm, I'm one of them. I found it pretty, like all right. I thought I thought it was an all right movie. But anyway, what my my point is, is that I'm not even saying that they're not doing stuff that's new. Granted, is it derivative of some sketches on Mister Show? Definitely. Is it is it derivative of uh, some things that were that were done? I think funnier on uh, the short lived MTV Two Show Wonder Shows? In yes.
1: Oh, uh, I need to see
2: that. That's that was a very funny show. Mm. Um, but I've heard good things. But here's my thing about I didn't say that they only spend a few minutes on their show. I said they spend a few minutes writing it and they spend and they spend most of their time editing and trying to make things look weird and working on sound design and stuff and making things awkward, which again, you can say, "Oh, well, that's just that's where they're focusing on." But I I feel that doesn't I mean, you could say the same of Carrot Top. Carrot Top spends (laughs) he's Carrot Top spends like you know forty five seconds tops thinking of a joke, and then he probably spends about three hours building the yeah Yeah, building the prop. That doesn't make it any less hack or any less underwritten. That just means that he's focusing in different places. I genuinely think that they um, that they coast on aesthetic, an aesthetic that granted a lot of people really love. And I'm not going to fault any of them for that, but no, I think they coast not. on the aesthetic and are genuinely uninspired. I wouldn't even say that. I wouldn't even say that they think they are as genius and brilliant as a lot of mm-hmm. people claim they are. Um, anyway, that's my short. Well, it's, weird. It's, it's
1: weird how um I, I picked up a DVD from some have you you've heard of everything is terrible right like yes. they, they go around and show these sort of found footage kind of things mm-hmm. like they find everything anything. is terrible is something I have I have problems with as well. well well that's something that you know in in spurts I think it's pretty funny if you right. if they find the right thing did you see the film yeah the movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I saw and that was yeah I, I actually got that free oh so, I think you probably lent it to me yeah that's I probably think how I, did. I saw it oh, yeah. Okay. And it was, I thought parts of it were really funny. I mean, especially when you find some of the more odd, like uh, maybe it was like B. Arthur and doing some sort of infomercial. Um,
2: I believe it was Murder She Wrote. Uh... <laughs> oh, Angela Lansbury. Yeah, Angela Lansbury. That's right. Okay. That was
1: creepy. Yeah, where she's well, the, in the bathtub. Yeah, when you find weird stuff like that, I think that's kind of cool. Like, And at first, I thought maybe Tim and Eric's aesthetic was trying to like satirize that kind of you know, public access, weird. It is. No, I, I, and that's fine, you know, but I just don't find it consistently funny. I, I feel like it wears out its welcome after 15 minutes and it did in the, in the movie for me too. So, I mean, I I, I think, but they didn't make an effort to do anything interesting with the cinematic format. I mean, it's, it's, it's it was like watching Wayne's world or something for me. Like they, they came up with a really conventional, boring storyline. Like, Oh, we got to raise money. So let's go do this thing. And, Try and raise the money. I mean, I don't know. The thing about
2: Tim and Eric, though, is there's so many fucking levels that you, the people who love it, will always be like, well, of course it's parodying blank. And it's like, well, of course that's not funny. That's parodying not funny. Like, there's no, (laughs) there's nothing that you could, there's no,
3: there's no way to argue it. There's
2: no criticism you can lob against it because there are people who will say that's the point. And that's fine. If you like that movie, if you like their show, great. I'm so happy for you. Um, I still think it's underwritten and I still think it's uninspired.
1: Yeah. And I would so agree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so
2: there, listeners. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Take that. No, we definitely love it when people write in in defense of something they love. By the love. way,
2: I, I realize we usually say this at the end of the episode. Uh, we love your emails and want to get more of them. Um, if you have, if you are interested in saying something about a director we're going to cover or about someone that we've already covered you have to, or if you take offense to something we say, like Eric, uh, go ahead and send us an email directorsclubpodcast at com.
1: Yeah, definitely do that. And right. like I said, at some point we might uh, jump aboard and do bonus episodes with you on Skype. So, uh Yeah. That's very cool. We're glad we got an email, but we should move on to uh, the next segment, which would be what we watched this week. What we watched this week. Maybe we
0: should talk about what we watched.
2: What we watched. What What we we watched.
0: watched. What
2: we watched this week. What we watched, what we watched this week. What we watched, what we watched, what we watched this week. What did we watch this week? What we watched, what we watched, what we watched this week. Everybody just watch all the movies and watch all the TV, watch all the DVDs and Blu-ray. Watch all the movies and watch all the TV and DVDs and Blu-ray. I want to watch Jack
0: Lee's Hero.
2: De Niro in Casino. Less zero. Everybody want to watch a movie. The
0: Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. It's that was part. a good one. Such a good one, i
1: felt it in my mind. We usually ask the guests to go first. (laughs) So if uh, something comes to mind that you've seen recently that, uh, you know, kind of stood out for you?
3: Well, uh, just yesterday, actually, uh, Kurt Halfyard from Row 3 Cinecast and I went to the Lightbox here in Toronto, which it's kind of... um, kind of a halfway between your uh you guys are in chicago right
1: yeah right. music box so maybe. it's kind of
3: in between it's kind of in between the music box and the cisco like if you were to take the music Box's programming and drop it into like a venue like the cisco that's kind of what you get and actually there's there's stuff that's coming to the music box that's already played here at the light box um but we went there and they're hosting and i think actually it might be in chicago right now too or it's coming or it just passed but they're they've got a whole uh robert brasson uh retrospective yes, that, they're that, playing right I, now. that i
2: believe is just wrapping up at right. uh, the gene Siskel film center
3: yeah so we uh kurt and i saw pickpocket yesterday oh and that was actually, yeah and that was actually that was my first time seeing pickpocket so to get to see it on a big screen a nice print uh that was that was the way to go for me
2: absolutely that movie is so what, what were your feeling like uh Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt because I, uh, I fucking I love I, pickpocket. But
3: oh no, I, and I, was, I, I loved it too. Like I, I, I did not really know what I was getting into. Uh, two weeks ago, I was there for a man escaped. So I was that was and that was my introduction to Brisson. And uh, with both films, I loved them, loved them, loved them so much. The, the, the both of them, the uh, the presentation was awesome and just I loved just his attention to sound was getting me. And this mm. one, there's. Those long stretches where you know the the, the main guy, the, uh, the Michelle, he's not talking, but he's walking around, and he's got those hard soled shoes. So like he, you hear his every last step. You hear you know when they're touching, just even just when they're flipping through money, it might as well be just like screaming in your ears when they just you know sift through their bills. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's that loud Ooh. in this film.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely have to check this out. This is something I have yet to see, and I well, need what's, to.
2: What, what's amazing about this movie to me is it like, and I think I think that is actually. I don't think I even paid attention to the sound design when I saw this, but um, that actually works into another thing, which is that this film takes such small, like if you want to think about the smallest scale, sort of uh, like least exciting kind of crime, you know, yeah. apart from something. <laughs> Uh, Apart from like something like someone on Wall Street would do, like, you know, where it's all just like numbers and letters and shit like like pickpocketing is not a grand heist. It isn't murder. It isn't uh, Grand Theft Auto or anything like that. It's it's not knocking over the Bellagio. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But he like serious. And I I'm not exaggerating at all. My like some of my favorite action sequences of all time are in this movie. It's not at all an action movie. It's more of a sort of a crime and punishment uh, kind of uh, tale, but like the the way he amplifies these small actions and he the way he mm. messes with uh, the time because these are very quick movements that are happening. A pickpocketing probably happens in less than a second, but there are I believe uh, as I remember, like three main sort of pickpocketing scenes and all of yes. them are shot like it is a car chase in Ronin or, you know, like it. Is, <laughs> all of it is um, especially the third pickpocketing scene on the train where it's. Oh, yeah it is that that might be one of the
3: like the best film sequences i have ever seen and it's it whatever however long it is it's, i think it's about five minutes or so it feels like and they don't utter a word right and you're ju- you're you know you're watching these wallets go and watching them and like kurt and i were just laughing because we were, it's just so beautiful
1: it is
2: it's so, <laughs> it's, it's so much joy in petty larceny it is and and, and and just the fact that like you try to think like 75 I've actually, minutes long too wow you no know, i heard i heard of pickpocket <laughs> and i heard Oh, it's this masterpiece of editing, and I was literally, and it's one of those things that sometimes you try to imagine movies in your head. I'm trying to imagine how pickpocketing can be um, cinematic, especially in a crowded train. Like, how do you even get the camera in mm-hmm. there? Like the way that not only do they tackle that problem, they make it like one of the greatest things that's ever happened in movies. Uh, I, I, they, Robert Bresson, I Amy, mean, he's the writer director, but uh, it's
1: released in the Criterion Collection. Yes, that is, is how I originally this? saw
2: it on. Um, I believe I saw it on Instant um back when incident well, had all the put, criterion films
1: i'm putting this in my queue right away you
2: you should it is like i did i i think i had to pause the movie after that third um pickpocketing scene and sort of
1: stand up back and up applaud again yes. yeah <laughs> like i was just i was so fucking charged and it's all just do you know and, what do you know what sequence does that for me would i have to like stand up in a plot i brought it up many times on the show
2: oh uh the uh, the the mirror scene in 25th hour
1: well that yeah, I guess so, but you I'm you more were of a, You were at a critic
2: screening, right, of Twenty Fifth yeah. Hour, and you stood up and you cheered. <laughs> yeah, after well, he did that I scene, didn't,
1: I didn't go that crazy, but no, didn't I did. you
2: just start punching
1: other people in the theater? Yeah, yeah, I sure did. It, <laughs> you it, got so it turned, amped. Into, it turned into like old boy, basically. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, I every time I see uh, the the hospital sequence in Spider-Man Two, I have to pause it and just fucking applaud. Yeah. I just love it to death. I think it's that's when I felt like Sam Raimi is back, you know. And i I couldn't expect that for the whole movie, but I just thought it was. Oh, I felt like I was watching Evil Dead two for the first time. That's right. And but uh, but just
2: the idea that it pickpocket does that on such a small scale, scale is yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And and what mm. you said about uh, you know what you said uh, about uh, the sound design and how amplified all the sounds are. It almost reminds me. Um have you ever seen a David Lynch movie theatrically?
3: Uh yeah, I was actually just last week at the Lightbox again to see Wild at Heart Ooh, again for the first time.
2: Do, doesn't doesn't David Lynch do the same thing with sounds where Oh yeah, I, 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 I noticed see, it. I, I, I saw Lost Highway. Mm-hmm. Oh for sure. Lost but like Wild at Heart doesn't like when the, the cigarettes matches burn,
3: yes, like, like, yeah, like the sound of a yeah. drag on a cigarette. It's like somebody's like lighting a torch,
1: right? Yeah, I yeah. Know. Well, I noticed that big time with uh, Punch Drunk Love, especially at the beginning, the way it's you know that truck sort of comes out and be like literally the speakers st- oh, yeah. felt like they were distorted the st- yeah. by the truck crashing, and everything else was just like dead silent right after.
2: And that's that. an interesting. I mean, a lot of people they talk about the theatrical being like, oh, because. The 35 millimeter print is much better than anything you'll get on Blu-ray, and people talk about just seeing it on a large screen and seeing it in the dark with a crowd. But like mm-hmm. the sound design in theaters, um, and, and maybe this is probably why, or maybe why I didn't, uh, you know, even recognize the sound design in Pickpocket. Like that is another thing that will blow you away, and. <laughs>
3: well it's it's funny that you mentioned that because uh last year the fir- was the first time I got to see uh, back to the Future on a big screen and let me tell you like i I can recite that movie i've seen it so many times it's not funny Same here. but i I've never had like my chest shaken the way that that those sonic booms when the Delorean jumps through time it it basically rocks the whole theater when that
2: happens which yeah. is, that's great man you know what yeah. that's that that is what You you get a sense of scale, not just, uh, you know, obviously the sense of – because the theater – because the screen is giant. But the idea of the sound design being that big, I mean maybe it's similar for people who have the really cool setups with the surround sound and everything. But um, I remember seeing Gremlins uh, at the music box and, (laughs) uh, you know, you want to talk about cute. Uh, <laughs> I heard the sound of about 400 people falling in love at once the second, g- yeah, the second gizmo pops his little head out of the box like it was literally everyone in the car was just aww and you know that they they'd all
1: seen it before but it's yeah. there's something yeah there is something more immediate you and know like- someone
2: uh, an, actually an ex uh, an ex uh, uh, classmate of mine from high school recently friended me on Facebook because she knew I was into movies and she was telling me about the Brasson retrospective at this film center, and I, and I was like, "Oh, are they playing Pick a Pocket?" She goes, "Yeah," and I, I just never got out there, and now I'm really regretting it. Same here. That movie's great, uh, Jim. Please, yeah, put that right at the top of your queue. It is okay. It's I, at the top of the my rest queue, of the, and the rest and of the pee. movie is entreat intrig- like. Well, his yeah, <laughs> his his
3: whole story. It's like it's not just you know the story of a thief. The guy's got he's he's kind of. Just becoming aware, he's uh, he's smitten with this uh, this neighbor of his mother, uh, this woman, this character named Jean, who Kurt and I like when she first showed up on screen. We looked at each other as if, where has this actress been hiding? Because <laughs> my God, is she stunning! Uh, and and you're just like it. We I don't think I'd ever seen her in anything before. It looks like she was she was really only acting mostly for between like fifty nine and seventy four, and then she did some smaller stuff. And it's it's a lot of it's a lot of French cinema, which I'm not very well versed in. But um, she she's got a whole relationship with with Michelle with the pickpocket. That's very very strange. Hmm. Like she he likes her, but she knows what he does and wonders why he doesn't really visit his mother. It's it's a lot more than just you know the story of one thief
1: that's great it, it, i mean it, it, it inspired paul schrader too it says it like uh, had an influence on his work which is really oh i good. can imagine
2: the, the the especially the apartment that uh jean the uh pickpocket lives in uh, or no not that's not the name of the pickpocket the uh the michelle michelle there we go uh jean sounds like a boy's name but michelson all right anyway <laughs> uh michelle gondry um the the like the apartment he lives in is very kind of reminiscent of travis bickle's apartment and the uh, sort of like the way that he elevates uh his life of crime into a philosophy uh yeah. almost like he like hmm. there's there are cops who will periodically come into the movie and they're basically yeah. having philosophical arguments with him about what he's doing which is which is you know fascinating
1: dostoevsky right no that's and that's what it's that I just wanted to say the that basic name because stu- I love saying Dostoevsky. That's the
2: basic struck what the basic structure <laughs> of the uh, film is based on. No, it's a good movie all around. But like those, se- and of course the sequences where he's learning, like how to unbutton a button, like, oh, yeah. like just snap and unbutton, or like how to catch. I I really want, I should watch it again too because I'm sort of fascinated. Uh, maybe yeah. to break down exactly how Brisson does that because I've never seen anything like it in my life and. One thing you don't expect when you're watching movies from nineteen from the nineteen fifties is to be
1: excited and dazzled like in that kind of way. <laughs> I kind yeah, of expected no. that from like the killing with uh, uh, Kubrick's The Killing. I saw that oh my god a long time ago, and I don't remember too much about it, but I want to rewatch it. I know that's another really short, tight heist movie that inspired a lot of people and. I'm interested in like because I haven't watched some of the really early like the Killer's Kiss and some of the other Kubrick stuff. I think he did like three of them, right? The Killing, Killer's Kiss, and something else that his I haven't first, seen. His
2: first one that was that he pretty much banished um, oh, actually right. yeah, re- yeah, yeah. actually aired on Turner Classic Movies recently in mm-hmm. HD. So you can oh, pro- damn. you can probably if you look carefully find a uh, well what's the word alternate from Legal. Uh, rip (laughs) not that we adore such things no 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 never we Um, never
1: do that that's not how I found last summer no (laughs) Um, speaking of movies that kind of are obscure I mean maybe this has a cult following behind it but I actually heard about it through Jay from Film Junk and when he was describing it it sounded totally like the kind of movie that would fuck with me and I was really excited to see it so um, I tracked it down and I'm very glad I did. It's a film called Race with the Devil from 1975, directed by Jack Starrett, I believe. Um, it stars Peter Fonda and Warren Oates, who I literally only know from Stripes. Like, I'm sure he's been in a ton of movies that I may just not be aware of that he's been in. But... um I just he's not the guy
3: from Hall and Oates, right? <laughs> <laughs> different Oates. No, diff,
1: different, oh, war, Oates, war different Oates. Different Oates. <laughs> different
2: Oates. Have you seen Have you seen Tulane Blacktop? No. Okay, you got to see Monty Hellman. move. Um... Oh,
1: he's in Badlands. I think he plays Sissy SpaceX father. All right. Yeah. War- I've oh, seen that. Now, what you're gonna do is yeah, 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 I'm yeah, gonna,
2: yeah. I'll send you a link, and I'll we might even put the link up on the show notes. But basically, um, Warren Oates was uh, Badass Digest, one of my favorite film sites. Um, did a you know they they have a periodic thing where they name different badasses uh, throughout history. I think I think the last one was actually Judy Bloom, um, but they did one of the first ones they did was on Warren Oates. And have you seen Two Lane Blacktop? No. Okay, you have to see that. It's really great. Um, it's basically like what if Easy Rider was good?
1: <laughs> you know? Oh like, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel to... like that's a movie at the time that it came out. No, exactly, and, and fit. You Easy know, Rider, Easy Rider was
2: important for and sure, I, and I appreciate, Cultural significance. I appreciate I appreciate everything it did. But it is not so great to watch now. But Tulane Blacktops like a better version of that, and Warren Oates is incredible mm. in that. So Warren Oates is in this, okay. But go ahead. The,
1: the Race with the Devil doesn't have uh, you know Peter fun on a mo- actually he is on a motorcycle at the beginning, <laughs> but um no he uh, him and his friend uh, Warren Oates decide to go on a trip together with their wives, you know, just like kind of have a you know, a road trip excursion, and you know, see some sites, You know, and just go to different places, and you know, not really, you know, get in touch with nature. I guess you could say. You know, they they stop off at uh, nature preserves and, and things like that. And you know, that I don't remember if they had a particular destination or not because um, uh, halfway through their their trip, they just decide to set up camp somewhere, and um, they get really drunk and. They see something in out on the di- out in the distance and uh, basically it's just a uh, satanic cult ritual and he, they witness somebody being killed. and then, then of course uh, one of the wives yells out and then the uh, all the members of the cult see them and it becomes basically a chase movie for a good hour after like oh, nice. uh, you know forty minutes of setup. And it's relentless. It, it's just insane. Um, it creates a lot of paranoia in terms of like when they get to the police, are they in on it sort of feeling? Um, and then, you know, they go to a different town and they like decide to, you know, go to a diner, but then everybody's get, they're getting weird looks and um, there's just a lot of stalking in this movie from people who, you know, are just creepy in general, and you don't you know, obviously the movie seems to hint that you know they might be in on it. Um, and I don't want to give too much away in terms of how things play out because it has you know not necessarily twists but just some really um fascinating stuff that happens towards the end. That you know, it's 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 all it's like a part, um, you know, I feel like in some ways, and maybe I think Kevin Smith might even have mentioned this that this is the movie that inspired Red State because it is kind of like again how we have talked about a few movies that we reviewed here and there it is kind of like a mashup in a way it's like different genres that you got the the satanic panic fused with a chase movie and you know there's a little bit of the whole you know let's get away from everything easy rider kind of element towards the beginning with the two guys who just want to escape their jobs and stuff and just have an you know nice vacation of sorts um but then of course everything goes to hell and i found it to be like a precursor to one of my all-time favorite action thrillers breakdown with kurt russell which i think is a fucking phenomenal tight action film um i i that's one of those movies that i think if you haven't seen it seek it out immediately because i want to watch more movies where people are, are ch- you know it's like you know at the time it was compared to duel and I remember seeing Duel at a very young age because I was really into Spielberg. And, uh, that movie might've imprinted in a way in my brain for better or worse. Cause I feel like the type of movie that really gets to me, because I wouldn't say race with the devil is a scary horror movie. It's just really effective at making you feel anxiety, um, you know, with these Those characters are the best kinds, yeah, it's like they there's you know not not necessarily like a lot of gore or shocks, but just stuff that gets under your skin in a very <laughs> inexplicable way that's just like, oh my God, I can barely keep you know catch a breath while you know all this shit is happening to these people, and you feel bad for them It's not actually recently watched uh, the first Terminator, yeah, on instant
2: that's oh, a, sure that's a similar movie, and unfortunately- it feels
1: more like a horror movie.
2: Yeah, cuz it's it's just so tense and it's just yeah. running, running, go, go like you Yeah, that's a that's a that's a similar movie. I uh um... I mean,
1: it does start out slowly. I have to, as I said like for the first half hour, 40 minutes, it is a long setup. Um well, but a lot of a lot of road movies tend to do that anyway, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. So. But then once it kicks into high gear, it's You're it's... not going
2: to I mean, you're not going to feel that turn No, into horror from right. normal to horror, unless they have us. Alone, I mean, you're so. just
1: expecting because if you read a plot synopsis before you watch a movie, you're expecting when is you know the the confrontation going to happen, and then when it does, I'm so glad to say that you know there are surprises, like you know because because this is a kind of movie I really enjoy, like a like a joy ride or a vacancy where people are trapped in a situation and they're trying to get out of it and they can't and they try to just trust these people but it turns out they're in on it if people want to recommend either more of these types of movies to me just so i can get freaked out i would i would really appreciate it to be have honest you, have you seen u-turn
2: i have not seen u-turn U Turn is not Oh,
3: fair. u-turn's aw- u-turn, no. u-turn
2: is awesomely bad it's, oh, it's is it? it is really bad i <laughs> just from what i heard of it it sounded like that kind of movie well
1: it's more of like a i wouldn't say film no it's not film noir it's no,
0: like there was, there was,
1: there was this type of movie like Red Rock West, where it was pretty much all about a guy, you know, who comes into a town and just steals money for a femme fatale kind of woman, and that movie's U Turn seemed like almost like a parody. In a so way. you like you
2: you like movies where the main thrust, what you're asking, sort of like movies where the main thrust of the film is just this building tension. Yeah, um, you know, like jo- a,
1: like Joyride, right. wrong,
2: Vacancy, this isn't Wrong a, Turn. This isn't a chase, but have you seen? Uh, Bad Day at Black Rock. No. Uh, with was Spencer oh, Tracy. that's a great movie. Okay. But Spencer that, that, Tracy arrives down. in town and he's got an agenda and you slowly figure out what it was and you slowly figure out that the whole town was in on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, it's, and it is and it is really good at very casually and very calmly mounting this tension until it sort of explodes at the end. Bad Day at Black Rock. All right. This okay. Is-
3: there's something to movies like this, uh, you know, like Race with the Devil and ba- Bad, uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, where you're stuck in a small town where there's nothing around for miles. Yeah. You're not actually, you're not actually Ugh. stuck. Like it's not like you're you're trapped in a closet or something like that. Or you're right. It's you're not. Jail. It, it's not you're, buried. You're, <laughs> no, you're in the middle. You're in the middle of nowhere. You can go for miles in any direction and just get away from whatever's got you there. But it's just it's it's that isolation of being away from everything that can possibly help you. Or
1: right? The, no, I think they're stalked by the fear. the what, fear. They're stalked by the fear. What, what, what oh, I yeah.
2: what I like about those kinds of movies is that is. Like America is basically these isolated pockets of civilization. <laughs> oh, uh, I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's sure even I'm sure it's, sure it's even, it's sure it's even it, bigger in Canada. Uh, yes. <laughs> where yeah. you're it's it's like there will be yeah, there'll be about seven hundred miles in between two places and that, like, so I think that's people in North America, like, are very familiar with that feeling. Yeah. I mean, and that's why you'll see a lot of these kinds of movies, like Road uh, road Games in Australia. Like, you'll see a lot of those movies come out of Australia as well, mm-hmm. because they're familiar with this feeling of, um the, uh, isolation. Of, yeah, is- isolation, not meaning, uh you know, being contained, but the opposite, meaning expansive, expansive sure. landscapes and stuff.
1: And that's all, you know, I, I recently watched Walkabout, and that's sort of like a different kind of like, you know, the cultural ignorance and playing into the fact your, that you're your lost. Favorite,
2: your favorite movie from last year, Meek's Cutoff, is, yeah, plays definitely. with similar things. So I guess we're
1: sensing a theme in and in my preferences <laughs> here. But if you want to find movies that either tackle, in, in a very effective way, Satanic Panic or being chased in this same kind of uh, situation that we're describing. I would love to watch more movies that are that are just as, as effective as Race with the Devil. So I'm glad that Jay recommended it. And he was right. It is something that's uh, totally up my alley, and uh, I'm going to be picking this up soon. So, Patrick, what would you like to talk um, about this week?
2: Uh, true, true to form, I don't actually have a movie to talk about uh, this week. I'd actually like to talk about music videos. Um, mm. which are, have long been, I mean, I'm a fan. I'm, I've always been a fan of short films and have sort you
1: said, of. You said you're a fan. I am. I'm a, a friend. Fran. I'm, I'm sort of a nanny. Okay. Of music videos. Okay. I sort
2: of, I teach these uptight sort of yuppies how to be crazy. <laughs> like they're from Queens. No, uh, no, I've always been a fan of, uh, music videos and, and I'm always, and I, I sort of relate that to my fandom of short films is that they're. There was a time – like, the greatest selling short film of all time was the Michael Jackson thriller (laughs) Laserdisc. Like, that sold almost a million copies. That's crazy. That uh, 15-minute music video plus the making of that was on a Laserdisc.
1: That was my first exposure to John Landis as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah. I had no idea who he was at the time. Same here. So, so the point – so, like, what I'm saying is, like, I I
2: love music videos. And Michelle Gondry, who we're going to be talking about, is, you know – arguably one of the greatest music video directors ever, you know, Definitely. who's ever lived. I think his sensibility is kind of perfect for music videos um, because it's all about dazz he's all about dazzling-, dazzling you not with necessarily special effects or editing or anything but just by ingenuity. Yeah. So I thought, like, what are your, some of your favorite music videos and uh, sort of what, what things do you like in music videos I thought it would be an interesting uh, conversation. I want to I mean... We could talk endlessly about Michelle Gondry's, you know, music videos. Yeah, that's
1: tough because, like, a lot of my favorites are from him. Oh, really? You know, I mean, there's there's definitely, like, my first exposure to uh, almost like a one-take experience. I mean, obviously, I probably just hadn't been aware of it, but um, one of Michelle Gondry's earliest videos uh, was from, like, 94. It was this kind of one hit wonder uh lucas with lucas with the lid off and it was this one take it won <laughs> it won awards and everything it was like a really innovative piece of work and i remember seeing it when i was younger going holy shit how did he do this how did he how did he pull this off and he's really good at that style of just like being organic and yet inventive and figuring out ways to Put the camera here and there, and then just have it seem seamless. I,
2: I do love the uh, the music video that's all one shot in one take. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that is because I think a three you know three to four minute shot is the perfect length for a tracking shot. So it just <laughs> sort of lends itself to it. Sure, um, but uh, no, I love that music video. Uh, There's
1: one by by. It's so weird because like the visuals really stand out, and I think maybe even Fincher did it. Um, it's Madonna's bedtime stories because I've oh my god this this video was like so weird but really like Erotic. seductive and <laughs> <laughs> was it on erotica no it was yeah. on bedtime stories right right but right. um anyway it's like she has mo- like a like at one point her um, mouth becomes eyes and her eyes become a mouth and like there's all, there's always like these it, it seems like a Kubrick video so it has to be mark romanic that's yeah, was who i'm thinking say, that's, of. say and,
3: and he's he's responsible for some of the very very best ones
1: absolutely yeah i was like because i mean michelle gondry spike jones yeah but i think mark romanic might be my favorite I, I,
2: I think, I think a Mark of a good music video director is that he ties an image to a sound so that you can never hear the song without the video and not, yes. um, perfect example that Mark Romanek's, uh, video for closer by nine inch nails. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. never hear the part where it goes, no, 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 without thinking of, uh, Trent Reznor spinning around yeah. like weirdly <laughs> on his back. I can't yeah. hear that part without thinking of him spinning around. Um. He did one some of my things.
3: One of my favorite uh, romantic videos, actually, one of my favorite videos of all time, actually, is uh, from 2003 when he did. Um, uh, oh, actually, no, he did. Oh, yeah, he did uh, the Johnny Cash cover of "Hurt."
1: Oh man, that's like one of the few music videos that made me cry. <laughs> I, I think it made everybody
3: cry just because we we weren't really used to seeing Johnny that way. Certainly, weren't used to. You know, he was doing the cool covers by that point he'd done like rusty cage and he'd done one and that sort of thing but just to kind of hear him singing this really really almost like rusty version of the song and watching him he was very very frail like he died that year i think if not the next year he,
2: i think it was uh, the next year because he did release one album yes um, yeah oh well cause... no no he's been like tupac man he keeps no. <laughs> he keeps coming out with albums
3: no he did um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was it was that sort of thing. I think where... there's even a
2: part in that video where his wife is in the background crying. Like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah,
0: he, he,
3: yeah. He died that year to 2003. And that was the year that that song. Uh, oh, OK. That song. Dropped. I, that... And that was, you know, it was just it was it was kind of a, a harbinger of something to come, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Romantic did that one as well. And he's done just some of the very, very best uh, music videos ever.
1: Yeah. Including Fiona Apple's Criminal, which is a yep. very creepy video. Yeah. Yeah, um, Lenny,
3: Kra- Lenny Kravitz's "Are you going to go my way?" which is not it's it's just a performance video, but it's just got such style to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that was a good video for sure.
2: I like uh other one shot videos I've, um, there's a uh, um, Primus did a video for Mr. Kringle <laughs> and it's and it's Les Claypool with a stand- up bass in the foreground, and he's mm. in a warehouse and as as the video goes it's all one shot and the camera never moves. But things keep happening in the background <laughs> where, like, it'll just be, like, it, like randomly, like, a pig will be chased by, like, a <laughs> like a dwarf in a devil suit. I'm not saying that is something that actually happens in the video. I don't remember. But that is definitely, like, the feeling of things that happen. And so uh, I like that sort of one shot. I love the um, the video for Prodigy Smack My Bitch Up. I think that was the um, – that was one of those uh, – it, it's not a one shot video, but – it masks through cause it's all first person. Mm-hmm. So it masks through blinking and it feels like it's all one shot. Uh-huh. Um,
1: wasn't uh, Radiohead's Karma Police one shot? Because I remember it was like they were chasing a guy, yeah, in a, in a car, yeah. and then
2: the and the camera would pan back to Tom York into the back seat. Yeah, yeah he yeah. also had the uh, No Surprises video where. Oh it, God! Remember that where he was? That like, was painful. It, he was like in an astronaut suit, and the astronaut suit was slowly filling up with filling water. up with
3: water. Yeah, yeah. The, but the for me the best Radiohead video is still Just. Oh yeah,
1: that's, I, had, I had forgotten all about that. Oh
3: no, that, that's what, what do you it think it
1: was? What do you think?
3: I, I never, I never want to know. I, if, if somebody tells me, I will, I will hurt them severely. I honestly, honestly one of those things that I never want to
2: find out in my life. I'm honestly not a big fan of that video just because it. I think it's so gimmicky, silly. Yeah, silly and pretend Like I want to say pretentious because I'm not saying that they think they're making some big thing, but it is. It is very silly. Um, I mean, and Radiohead's video, the animated video yeah. for uh, Paranoid Android, was.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, I also cool.
2: like. I also really like dance, like dance videos where the feats aren't necessarily even just wow, that's really inventive what they did with the camera or whatever. But it's just like I can't believe that they're doing that. Like.
3: like I don't weapon know, of choice.
2: Weapon of choice is a great example, and Fatboy. Um, even oh, though this right. isn't, it isn't necessarily mind blowing. Praise you is a great video, just oh, because. Yeah. Of the the opposite, instead of being like kind of insane how good the dancing is, it's sort of like, um, it, it's sort of it's sort of it's so choreo. Yeah, like mm-hmm. Spike Spike Jones is a great music video director. Oh, sure. He Beastie does that Boys, a lot. Sabotage. He does that a lot where he's not afraid to um sort of put the actual song itself on the back burner because in the praise you video, you literally only hear the the song as it's coming through their boombox. So. <laughs> Like the song is just as loud as crowd noises and the sounds of their feet on the pavement and everything. Have you? I, and this is almost it's it's it sadly become kind of a joke. But the MC Hammer video for "Can't Touch This" is with just his pants.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember
2: the. I don't remember it outside of the parachute That's the, pants. Uh, no, yeah, he had the parachute pants, and which you know emphasized his movement. It's it's all it's all the parachute pants were all part of the his. I mean, M.C. Hammer was not a great rapper, but
1: he was a great dancer. This is the second episode in a row where M.C. Hammer comes out. Really? But go ahead. Yeah. Did, wow. I about, did I talk no, about it last year? Remember, don't you remember last my episode? horrible joke where you were talking about Hammer movies, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, Dracula, yeah, yeah. you can't bite this? Okay, got it. I know you blocked that but out. There's so. a... <laughs> but there's a... a good reason, I think. I think so, too. But the set of that of
2: the dance, go back and fucking watch that video. There's a set where it's just half black and half white. Um, and he dances back and forth between the two things, and there's one part in the middle, in one of the extended breakdowns, where everyone's going, oh, oh, mm-hmm. like, where the camera never leaves him, and he's just going to town, and the fact that the camera never moves, and he just moves back and forth in the frame, and you see his whole body, like, that's like that's actually one of the things that, you know, musicals nowadays are missing, and, you know, and especially because of MTV and stuff, is that a lot of dancing is too close up and you don't right. see the whole, like, you know, back in Days of Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, that's what you would see. You see that's, everything,
0: yeah. You see and that's what you see shots, yeah.
2: in that Can't Touch This video where it's, the camera is far back and you not only see him, you see his other dancers and it's framed like a classical musical. Um, it's one of
3: the reasons why the video for Single Ladies works so well. Yes! Because
2: right? yes. it, it's, it's just back and it, kinda,
3: it swings around them, but you never cut off the, the women really. Right. Like, you can see them from head to toe the whole time.
1: Yeah, no, that's I love the single ladies video. That's great, and mm-hmm. I'd say my favorite might be um, of all time. I think I think my favorite might be Smashing Pumpkins 1979 because I feel oh like that God. that's a, that's a video that completely improves. I mean, I love the song. I've always loved that song, but that's that's one of those when I hear the song, I think of all the images think, in that video. I, I
2: think more than no, I I completely agree with you. I can't yeah. believe I even forgot about that. More than like pretty much any movie I've ever seen that that music video to me captures the feeling of being like a junior in high school or something and just fucking <laughs> totally driving right. around. And mm-hmm. that's sort of, we're being crazy in a, like that part in the convenience store where they're like just bowling with the two liter yep. bottles and stuff. That like that awesome. is, that's right. sort of like, we're just being crazy and destructive because we don't care and we have nothing to do. And we're bored. Like right. that's and it's
3: like mid summer. It's like the furthest you're going to get away from being in school.
2: Absolutely. Oh my yeah. God. And then there's that sort of house, Party and they're jumping in the yes. pool and stuff. It's that's such an awesome. Moment. That is that is an amazing video. It I'm is. so and glad you brought that up. Yeah,
1: I mean, I know that I, th- I don't know if they won for that one, but they they won for tonight tonight. And then they went on to direct Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> oh, is that the, is that the same director? <laughs> yeah, you did? the same husband and wife team. That's oh, wow. disappointing. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
3: um, the one, the one more that I want to mention, which sure. is either going to get me mocked or possibly hailed. I don't know. Uh, but uh, my, my actual, my answer for my favorite video and one of the best videos ever is uh, "Everybody Hurts" by REM, directed uh, by Jake Scott. It's a Fellini film. Is I don't what think it I've is. seen that.
1: It is. It's don't? real. I mean, it's it's. Patrick, it's, it's, keep in mind, Patrick's like 10 years younger than me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of funny because just one little side tangent is it's kind of crazy how the art form of the music video has really, really trickled off. Like you yeah. used to get, uh-huh. you know, between 10 and 20 really, really seminal videos a year between... Uh, you know, like eighty seven or so, and right up to about ninety nine. Like when when MTV was still showing music videos, right. and and that was the way to sell the music. And 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 budgets were climbing and climbing and climbing. And then just you know, turn of the turn of the century, everybody's watching their stuff online. The budgets all come down, and and they're not they're not pushing the art form as much as they no. used to. Now you'll get you'll still get five or ten good ones a year, but they're usually by either just uh, somebody who's Done something really, really experimental and cool, um, or just the bigger artists that can afford it. So, like exactly. your Lady Gaga or your your Kanye West, yeah, But RM but every, everybody hurts. Um, it was it's the simplest concept. It's a traffic jam. Is what it is like. REM, they're driving all four of them when there was four. Well, let's back up when REM was still around <laughs> when they were good. Uh, when there was, and when there was four members of the band, they they're driving along the highway and they just they they slowly pull into a traffic jam and the camera sweeps through the traffic jam and it's looking at people in the cars and it's got little subtitles underneath of what they're thinking as as the song plays out and oh, it's, nice. it's it's like the first one minute or two minutes however long it is of eight and a half but drawn out into this mini- music video and it's it's beautiful it's absolutely amazing and so simple um you know it's 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 like a heart-wrenching friggin song it's one of those ones that like every girl i went to high school with used to put on and cry when they got dumped because uh, <laughs> it's, it's just so friggin sad but to take that and to turn it into something beautiful and thoughtful like this um it's it's fantastic
1: i completely agree I, I, that's a and, great and video it, and it still holds up and it, like that's the thing is that all this time later they, 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 nine, they it elevated it they elevated oh, yeah. the art form at the time i mean losing my religion was huge who that was a famous director right yeah tarsim 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 wow everybody hurts was jake scott yeah what did jake's did jake scott do anything movie wise
3: i think he is one of the the, the scott people isn't, isn't he like ridley's son
2: <laughs> really uh, apparently, hold on. Let me see. Jake Scott, if he's the same Jake Scott, um, yeah, which he is. Yes, uh, he directed the film "Welcome to the Rileys," which I oh,
3: that's right,
2: did not see, but apparently was bad. Yes, was Amber Tamblyn in it? Why'd you watch it? God damn it! <laughs> why?
1: I don't know why I watched. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> why did I watch it? I don't know. Maybe it's because Jake Scott directed it. He and he is
3: he is Ridley Scott's son.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, he also directed the video that's kind of good for fake plastic trees by Radiohead. Oh yeah, um, the, the grocery, grocery store. Grocery star, yeah. Yeah, 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 and I, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, because I'm, I primarily am a fan of rap music. Like rap, I think rap videos kind of killed it. <laughs> kind of killed the <laughs> art form because the budgets just got huge and huge. So instead of being about sort of coming up instead of being a playground for directors with interesting visual ideas with no real way to market them you know cuz you can't i mean there's no market for short films uh you know it's hard to Sad. put truly you know truly groundbreaking visual ideas in in regular films although i mean we'll talk more about michel gondry he's one of the few who found a way to do it without it seeming just completely out of nowhere but um I, I think rap videos just sort of escalated it to like, well, how many cars? What kind of yacht can we have? What What's exploding? Can we have a, like, 30, you know, can we have like a two-minute, like, introduction sequence in which these ho- these actors who are not, I mean, these rappers who are not good at acting try to act. And, like, and then eventually the prices just went crazy. Like, I heard that the I heard that the uh, big pimpin' music video for Jay Z uh, featuring UGK that was three million dollars. Oh come on! That's that's I believe that that's three times as much as the budget for the movie Brick. (laughs) You know, like that's (laughs) that is like that's that's insane. Um, And then that sort of killed it. And now you got to you know there are a few. I think the Mountain Goats, whenever they do release music videos, which isn't often, they do interesting things. I think uh, Hype Williams is, like, one of the only <laughs> music video directors who still does it. And I, I like Hype Williams' music videos, but he, he tends to be super, super literal, <laughs> where, like, Lil Wayne will just make a reference to cereal, and then it'll just be, like, a close-up of breakfast cereal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's Hype, that's Hype Williams' style. Um, I also I love-
3: really like I – like, I like Kanye's videos where rap is concerned.
2: Yeah. Just no, sure. some cool stuff. Kind. Of, i mean his last one he did he actually did with hype williams was inspired by the opening credits of enter the void um yes. all of the yes. lights
1: oh, yeah that's right
2: um you know and the the watching the throne video is a very interesting i don't think it's i'm not a big fan of it but it's a very interesting because it's all shot from live performances but it looks completely different than any live performance you've ever seen
3: mm. Mm, cool
2: so uh i mean that actually came out recently and uh I mean, I don't know what your feelings are on, you know, what anyone's feelings are on Odd Future, but Tyler, the creator, usually comes up with some fun kind of weird (laughs) videos. Um, No, but
1: it is definitely uh, a dying art form, which is sad. It Um, is sad, definitely. I mean, there's, like, I remember even just thinking of, like, the mid-2000s or whatever, thinking, like, when, even when, uh, like, a when the white stripes put out the denial twist video remember that with uh, yeah Conan michelle Michel gandry did Michel Gondry. Yeah, that, is, <laughs> that is
2: so disorienting and actually almost makes me feel seasick every time i watch it.
1: Wait, is it that one or the um that that's i think denial uh,
2: twist is the one where the scope keeps changing so they keep getting fatter and wider and stuff that's seven nation army no I seven think. nation army is the one where the camera goes through
1: their legs that's something that makes yeah. me ugh. Oh that's what makes you sick <laughs> yeah i don't no. know it's a little too stroby i don't know there's That's something- a great i mean white stripes probably the last i mean
2: they're probably the last great rock band and they're also probably the last uh sort of
1: i liked what you said about hardest button because i never liked that song <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah but I, I recently tweeted that uh, michelle gondry is so good at directing music videos that he he tricked the world into thinking that hardest button to button was a good song because <laughs> <laughs> that because references that like that video was a big cultural touchstone yes. but that yeah. song when, it, when,
3: it, when it's parodied on the simpsons you know you've arrived exactly it's, that's
2: exactly what i was gonna say but that song i think <laughs> i mean and i'm a huge white stripes fan that's song is real horrible.
1: <laughs> well, I think we should move on now that we mentioned his name, right? Yeah, Let's yeah, move now on that to we <laughs> <laughs> trust the elephant in the room. No, that's not. All right. Trust the elephant in the room. I said address, but oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should trust the elephant too. Yeah. He looks friendly. Mm-hmm.
2: Don't whatever we do, don't cage the elephant cuz okay. that that band is kind of crampy. Uh, I'm not a big fan of. Huh?
1: Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about our director <laughs> of the episode, Patrick Michelle, Michelle Gondry. and Michelle Gondry is from France. The first time I became aware of Gondry's inventive approach behind the camera was in a music video for the swan-wearing actress, Bajork. The music video was... (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) The music video was Human Behavior, and it won several awards. Shortly thereafter, he joined the ranks of guys like David Fincher and Spike Jones, guys well-known for doing incredibly original work for a variety of musicians and bands. Gondry had also created numerous television commercials considered to be a, more, a little bit more artistic than some of the others, and he pioneered the bullet time technique, later adapted in The Matrix? That's in- true. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> um And it was uh, used in a uh, commercial for Smirnoff vodka. And he also directed a trio of very interesting holiday-themed advertisements for Gap. This guy has been around. He's uh, done a wide variety of things. And uh, it wasn't until 2001 that uh, Gondry made his debut feature, which was a rather underseen, quirky little independent comedy called Human Nature. Which, while garnering pretty decent reviews, it was kind of a, it had an underwhelming box office return. And it wasn't until his second directorial effort that he clicked with the minds of filmgoers everywhere. Hello,
3: I'm Howard Mirziak, founder and president of Lacuna Incorporated. Why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique. For the focused erasure of troubling memories In a matter of hours a patented non-surgical procedure will rid you of painful memories and allow you a new and lasting peace of mind you'd never imagined possible
0: this is a hoax right i assure you no is there any risk of brain damage it's on a par with a night of heavy drinking nothing you'll miss ah!
1: It's hard to know where to begin with a movie like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Maybe we should start at the end and work our way backwards. Or maybe I will cut pieces out of the MP3 in hopes of erasing my many stutters and brain farts that could very well ensue. Mm -hmm. For now, (laughs) most people uh, listening to this probably have seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And know of the rather ingenious and Oscar-winning screenplay. That was one of the few <laughs> Oscar moments where I was like, "Okay, you guys, uh, I'm, I'm on board with that." When when they gave it to you know Best Original Screenplay, because that year it, it was uh, that was kind of my movie at the time. Um, but it's it's kind of a, a very simple love story that has that sci-fi twist that we all know and love. Um, but it's it's just a sort of a mind melding if you will of two of my favorite um cre- creative uh um collaborators i mean just you got a guy like uh charlie kaufman who uh you know is probably my favorite screenwriter working today and michelle gondry who you know i think is just um an inc- a visual pioneer, just the way he approaches filmmaking, um, whether it be for music videos or for something like Eternal Sunshine, is that he's very organic. He likes to try sometimes impossible things. I, I mean, one of the standout moments for the uh, behind the scenes of Eternal Sunshine is when. Um, You know, Jim Carrey got really frustrated with Gondry in trying to do something that seemed impossible, but yet they pulled it off on on Gondry's insistence of trying, and that seems to be something that you know we, we you can sense his passion within the movie, but you can sense that he has a passion behind the craft, but also doing it in a way that doesn't require CGI or trickery. He wants to do it, you know, in his own on his own terms, and You know, in that way, it makes him a really, um, capable auteur that I think, you know, he's had some diminishing returns since Eternal Sunshine, but, um, there's, there's so much to say about Eternal Sunshine that I kind of want to pass it on to, to somebody else because I think it's, it's, it's a very personal movie for me in a lot of ways, and I'll definitely get to why (laughs) soon enough, but I, I want to, you know, uh. Pass it along to to you guys to sort of just give a quick. What was your first experience seeing the movie, and how do you feel about it watching it now? So, uh, Patrick, you want to go or?
2: Uh, okay. Uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go. No, 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 no problem. Um, no, I think this is. Uh, I think I was a bit of. Um, like at this uh, at this point, like I said, I think it came out. I believe, sophomore or junior year of high school. In. So it was one of those things where you hear a lot of people talk about it, but like they're often the same people who talked about like Garden State or uh, Donnie Darko or American History X or just any number of movies that high schoolers get super worked up about. Um, so I was always a little skeptical, and it actually took me a couple of years before I actually got down to watching it and then I did I was like oh well I should have clearly watched this much earlier because this is really good uh, no it's, it's a fantastic movie um, you know I mean it, it's very similar to you know one of my favorite movies of all time Annie Hall you know I think it's uh, I think it's uh, I think it's you know it's just so well structured and well done and so perfectly visually achieved that yeah it's, it's just a great movie um, I mean I that's I don't have any initial opening big statements to, to say about it. I'm yeah. more, I'm more interested in talking about the details with you guys. So
1: Ryan,
3: well I will give you actually a, a broad opening statement and um the a little over two years ago now or so when we were all making up our best films of the decade list. Uh, this for me was, was number two. This was one of the very, very best films um, to come out of the last decade. And um, looking at its page on Wikipedia right now, I'm kind of weeping inside because I realize I saw this in theaters. I, I saw this opening weekend actually uh, just because I, I can remember that trailer in my head and how, how kooky and weird and and energetic it seemed. Um, I don't know if you if either of you guys remember, but it was all cut to uh, to Mr. Blue Sky, yes. by yellow, and that was Great that was kind of what, what yeah what kind of brought that song back into a lot of people's conscience as well. And um, I'm looking at the release date, and yeah, it, it came out around this time. It came out March 19th of 2004, and there is nothing like that, that looks anything like this coming in the next month or so and that makes me so sad because (laughs) there you know people still go to movies in the in the springtime i don't know why studios haven't realized that they're feeding the machine that when you put out the crap at this time of year that no audiences are not going to go see the crap but if you put out something like eternal sunshine to the spotless mind guess what people will go and uh, I, I will I will never forget going to that movie that that opening weekend and just falling so deeply in love with with everything about it the look of it the music um, the 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 odd odd story like it's it's a, it's an anti love story almost really and uh, and yeah one of the very very best films of the last uh, you know it's, it's it's almost ten years old
2: now I'd love to talk to you about that comment the anti love story because that's that's probably a an assessment that i disagree with but in in talking about this film with other people i realized that there are a lot of different ideas about what this movie is and what it means and uh, and sort of especially you know the ending um you know we might as well start at the end the same way the film does (laughs) well that's what i was thinking (laughs) um do you what do you feel about the ending ryan I kind of feel like it, it sort of um
3: reminds me of a a, a recent Canadian movie I saw called Cafe de Flore. Ooh I need which, to see that. Uh, yeah, it it just it just came out on DVD and Blu-ray up here cool. where it, it 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 uh it kind of it questions the idea of um of uh, reincarnation and, and in finding soulmates and in finding people in various planes of existence. And I kind of got that impression with Eternal Sunshine that when we get to the end that, you know, you have two people who have been together. Do we even really know how long they were together?
2: It, no, it seems, we There's no amount of time. I mean, due, due it, to the fact that they don't visibly age, we're, I'm going to guess it's somewhere under five years, but more than one year.
3: Okay. So, you know, they, they've been together for a few years and they, they've they basically both hit the reset button and they're sort of about ready to find each other again. They feel this connection, but they don't really know why. In, in pushing restart, they're both back to being their ideal self they're both back to being that person that you are when you first meet somebody you know before they before they know that you leave socks on the floor before they know that you, you don't answer like you don't respond an email till 2 days later that kind of thing just with those little annoyances that build and build and build and you know they 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 they're, they've got this this kind of sad hope to them but at the same time, you're you're left there wondering: Are they about to go down the same road that we just saw? I think and they make, are, and make and make <laughs> these
1: mistakes all over again. I genuinely think that loop at the very end means exactly that. Um, I I would I mean I
2: would definitely agree. I think uh, I mean the characters definitely are figuring. Oh, I'm going. They I mean at the end the characters are going, uh, and I'm. I I mean I I guess there is an off chance that there's someone listening to this who has not seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. As far if there as,
3: is, if there is, I like no no offense to to the hosts of this show, but if there is somebody listening to this show who's never seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, stop this show yeah. right now. <laughs> Turn it and off. What are you doing? No, but like run, don't walk to your Netflix and queue it up, and you can thank us all later. Exactly. Please continue.
2: Uh, Please. No, no, no. Okay, no, but uh, I I know, and I completely agree, but. Uh, But I I feel like that the just because that I feel like the main thrust of the entire movie, what we get through the entire movie is that the mistakes made um, and the fact that the relationship ends does not mean that it was a waste of time. Um, Like the whole idea is the whole idea is that Joel needs these mistakes he needs this bad relation you know he needs this relationship gone bad to exist um, and he realizes this because not only are there a number of good times but when he's reset at zero he isn't happy we see the the, the Joel we see at the beginning is just as sad and depressed as you know as you can
1: imagine and uh, alone and so I believe that while i I almost wonder though that the the joel at the very beginning is you know him having lost you know erased the love that you know he had is he a different person you know i mean is he completely authentic now that he's gone through this process i believe
2: the thrust of the film is um as illustrated sort of and one of the other things i want to talk about is that the fact that The parts of the movie that you would generally assume are not interesting um, or would be the least interesting, namely uh, Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst and Tom Wilkinson's character, those are all really well done. And I think all those performances are really good. And I think all of those – the stories of those characters do illuminate a lot about what happens between Joel and Clementine. For sure. So I believe the sort of thrust of the film is – I should stop saying thrust of the film. uh, (laughs) But I believe the whole idea of the film is, yes, he is – um, not he is who he was before he met her, and that there, I mean, we don't get to see a lot of him before he met her. Mm-hmm. We get to see sort of the kind of nervous person he was when they met at the beach house, and he he couldn't take breaking into someone's beach house, and he let and he ran away. So, but so I think I think that is the idea. The idea is that he has been reset, um, and emotionally, and you know. Uh, and mentally, he is the person he was before he met her. Um, but I feel,
1: that- I feel like there's some after effects from that procedure. Like what? I, don't know, I don't know. I just feel like there's echoes, and that's kind of why they wind up going to Montauk.
2: Well, yes. You know, no. Definitely there is um, the sort of – there is the idea that – and I believe this is actually – it's actually a throwaway, lay, a throwaway line, but I think it's one that um, sort of – this sort of solves the the problem of if his memory is erased, why do they have these compulsions to go somewhere? Mm-hmm. Um, which is – there's a throw line where Mark Ruffalo is going, it's not wiping as clean as I would like, you know, when he's just sort of <laughs> first setting it up. And it does sure. present the idea that it isn't a binary of there or gone. It is sort of a – it's sort of they clean the memory. They wipe the memory clean the best they can, but there are some residual effects. So, yeah.
3: Well, just compare compare his demeanor in the two meetings, like compare what we see when he very, very first meets her at that house and then compare how he's acting and how he's approached to to this to this woman when they're on the train. And it's 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 very much like two different guys. You think so? I disagree. he, He hasn't been he hasn't been brought. He's close, but he hasn't been brought back completely to zero.
2: I don't I don't think it reads I mean I think it reads like very similar, but then again, I have problems with Jim Carrey's performance in this movie. Okay.
1: A lot of people seem to I I noticed that, you know, a few podcasts I listen to tend to feel that he was in fact miscast.
2: Well I and I, I want to get to this thing, but I do want to say really quick, I think the movie, um and I've always secretly believed that this movie is a remake of you know, not a ripoff. I will never say a ripoff, because this movie is incredibly inventive and smart and has its own life and everything. But I will say it is sort of a stealth remake of Annie Hall. The same journey, emotional Whoa. journey. Influenced, well, maybe. R- yeah. r- but But the same emotional journey that Joel goes on as he's going through his memories is very literally the what is happening in Annie Hall. And Annie Hall is about Albie going through his memories, starting with all the bad times when they're arguing about getting to the mm-hmm. movies late and stuff, and then eventually ending up. Um, realizing, oh, it was worth it. Or, you know, as, as Woody Allen puts it, because he likes to put profound things in the form of jokes, he goes, "We, I, you need the eggs, you know? And I do believe that is the ultimate conclusion that this film lands on as well, is that, look, we're going to hate each other and we're going to hurt each other and it's going to suck, but it's worth it because that's how you grow as a person and that's how you get the intense love that you feel and that's how you get those magical moments that you feel when you're lying on the... Frozen Lake, you know?
1: Oh, I, I, I don't so I,
2: disagree with that entirely. I just don't think
1: that they're compatible in, in the no, long run. No, no, no. But
2: I think that is the point. I think that it's still better for them to go through that experience. Uh, and by the way – Because everybody's got to learn sometimes. Yeah, exactly. As Beck would say. <laughs> but and by the way, a couple – they have a pretty – I mean y- you figure as far as relationships go – um there that they, all relationships end um very few, a very a, like a very small amount of them end when one person dies and then people like to say oh well that 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 counts as winning in some weird way you know what i mean <laughs> like like people are like oh well they were married forever because one of them died first and but in general if you talk about the co- like you talk about all numbers of relationships
1: mm-hmm.
2: like you're going you're talking you're looking at like maybe like 85% of them just ending you know so and as far as relationships go the one they have is not that bad um, and i think uh, i feel
3: like there, it's it, yeah. it, it it probably started out pretty well but it went to some bad bad places no. i think like it, he she strikes me as the kind of girl that he just was never with and and probably he might not have necessarily needed to be in be with her for that long like they are they really do not like each other by the end they, they might damn well hate each other by the end they, uh, but it, what it is what it is i, I at the same time like I, I can't. If I was him, I wouldn't want that whole experience erased because I think, like with it, with all of us, there are things that we've done that we wish that we could just completely omit. But like you know if you were to give your you know get your uh, get your choice right now if you can go back and you can just completely skip some sort of mistake be it a job or something that you did or didn't do or a person you were with who you shouldn't be with but then there are all these other ones that you know it didn't necessarily go your way either if it's a job you got fired or if it was a relationship you broke up or who knows what you know maybe you moved somewhere you shouldn't have moved but you should keep those because they turn you into who you are going forward and I like I, I think that Clementine was good for him for to, to to help him grow but I don't know if necessarily he should have hung on to the whole thing
2: I
1: well I, I would agree with that I, I mean
2: I think it went on a little long but when you go th- when he's going through his memories I will say that it is about you know maybe one fifth or one fourth bad and three fourths or four fifths good like the yeah. memories that he has with her as they're erasing them are overwhelmingly positive you know mm-hmm. and yeah maybe he stays on too long and maybe you know people should be able to end things when things start to go south before things go directly to hell or maybe he's
1: trying to focus on the good memories you know to, to i don't think on. that's
2: i don't think he gets to choose the memories i don't think that the mm-hmm. way the the way the process well, he sort is of presented. does
1: get to to escape you know the the technicians erasing he gets to choose like you know going into like an embarrassing or humiliating moment he starts thinking well he can he, he becomes of, aware he, he, of but the i'm saying
2: the process is the machine is guiding his brain yeah otherwise he would just stop it and there would be nothing they could do like the i understand that he's able to sort of hide in his brain because he's supposed to be able to just go with it and he mm-hmm. doesn't just go with it but i don't think the way the process is presented um, he is choosing to only remember the good things. In fact I think that is I think the fact that he, he is met with so many good things is what takes him by surprise and what makes him change his mind, which right. if it was if it was his choice, that would not be
1: the case. And you have to keep in mind that it's his perspective of her and that like, you know, he's probably romanticizing certain things that she's done and
2: Or conversely demonizing yeah.
1: things. Yeah. Oh for yeah. sure. That's that's quite possible because we're I experiencing I, I just, things in I his mind. I feel
2: overwhelmingly that the film is not i mean you can make your own choice about how you feel about their relationship or whatever and or in the fact that they're going to start over but i feel like the film itself is not ambiguous and i think it is it it views it as a good thing that um because i
1: feel the relationship is a good thing because yes. they get to learn about you know themselves and you know they grow over time i think but in terms of you know them winding up together, I'm not, long I'm not saying term. that they're going to get married. I'm not going right. to say
2: I. I strongly believe that this exact same thing is going to happen with different different words, same melody. You know, sure. But I think that the uh, the whole thrust of the film. I gotta stop saying that. I uh, take a drink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like the whole point of the film, though, is about how you cannot choose to ignore mistakes, and you can't like if you refuse to learn from them. Then you're just going to repeat them, and the same thing is with Kirsten Dunst's character, right? And I've 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 heard people go, "Oh, well, what if they're just doomed to repeat this forever?" And that's not the case because the movie makes a very clear point of dismantling Lacuna Inc. at the end with Kirsten
1: Dunst's sort of addressing all the people, and but that very last shot is pretty much a loop, you know? Yeah, I always thought that was. But there's no more Lacuna Inc. Like that's not going to happen again. Sure, I mean, there's definitely. Not to whole,
3: mention they're not to mention they're both aware of what's exactly happened, yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's yeah. not no, I mean I know that. I understand that it I'm does not
1: saying start... they're going to go back to Lacuna and do the same process I'm saying that the the, the reasons for them breaking up are going to come back no 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 I agree but people have invent have have
2: uh, have suggested that the idea behind the film is that. That you are forever doomed to repeat the same – go through the same problems in every relationship, which I do not think is what the movie is saying. Because mm. because if so, they wouldn't have made a point to to have them not – they would have – like, it would be so easy to hint that they could go right back to Lacuna, Inc. Mm-hmm. And that would have even been more sort of the pat, ironic kind of ending that you would expect from a movie like this. Sure. I think this movie is more optimistic <laughs> As I, I, I mean, guess. it's bitter. It's 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 no doubt bittersweet. I'm not saying it's 100% wine and roses. I'm just saying, I think in general
1: it's optimistic. I find it to be sad, but I think a lot of it has to do with, and I, I find this true of a lot of people because I've shown this movie to I don't know how many either girls I was seeing or people I've been with. They bring themselves to this movie in a way that's. Very personal and very emotionally confrontational about relationships that they've been through and have failed. And I mean, just like people who don't even love movies, I've shown this movie to, and they have such an intensely emotional reaction to uh, how things play out that, uh, I mean, it. A lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, I went through a very heavy, intense, serious relationship that didn't work out. That reflects a lot of shit <laughs> that goes down in this movie to where it's hard to be objective. It's hard to, like, not put, you know, either myself or my past into this movie in right. some way or another. And this is
2: actually comes to a point that I think is maybe the weakest part of this film and mm-hmm. the part that... I think this is... I. Cause I'm going, I'm about to launch a lot of complaints towards this movie <laughs> and I want to emphasize, these are the things that make, you still love the movie. I want to emphasize these are the things that bring it from an A plus movie to an A. Like this is, this is still like one of the greatest movies about relationships and everything I've And ever you made. just
1: don't throw A's around like I do. No, I
2: don't. <laughs> um, or like, or like uh, Canadians do. Um, okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, there we go. Nice. Um, have I dropped one yet?
3: No, I don't think so. I, I have never become more aware
2: of my speaking
3: patterns sorry. than when, <laughs> No 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 than when I turned on a microphone. I promised you. I, I am so cognizant of Well we'll about talk about it. we'll talk about later, but there's a really
2: we'll talk about it later, but there's a really funny part in the movie Green uh Green Hornet where Seth Rogen says Boro
1: I <laughs> forgot about that. Oh my god. Also.
2: <laughs> so like uh, <laughs> What breaks this movie down? Okay, okay. Um, The thing that I think hurts this movie is you have to bring, you have to um, sort of project your own relationships and history into it because the characters are underwritten. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I I was
3: going to say I think that's inevitable.
2: What, I think uh, you get
3: this kind of a you, th- th- that you're going to project your own your own emotions and your own history I, into this story. How can you it's separate? Ju- it's the nature of it's. Yeah, I was going to say it's the nature of this story of. It, just on a base level of here is a place that will well, take okay. your most that's and the nature, memories and take them out. You're going to
2: start thinking about your own ones. That's the nature of films. You see a mouse running around and then a cat comes up. You're going to go, oh, no, where's the mouse going to go? That's empathy. I understand that. But when you compare it to a movie like The Apartment or Annie Hall, like these are really – these aren't just – like that. that is how all movies are. All movies are you have to relate to them and to the characters in some way. Otherwise mm-hmm. – you're I don't just, know though,
3: because like Annie Hall is a very it's a very personal story. It's his story. It's he's like let, let, let's let's face facts. Woody Allen is always playing Woody Allen, right? And that, those were her his neurotic hang-ups at the time about whoever he was writing that story about. I think Eternal Sunshine, which in part is, was
2: actually about Diane Keaton,
3: exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, Eternal Sunshine, though, I think it's more it's more broad. It's 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 something that you can you're not going to have your own little quirks and hang ups of. Uh, you know, of of not wanting to be part of the club that would have you as a member, and that's why you date this particular girl that's in there because I think he's dating a girl who he doesn't normally date. But but as I said, the, the core of this story, um, it, it just it lends itself a
2: little bit better
3: than just seeing the cat chase the mouse.
2: But I think. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I think that is that is a filmmaking technique but I think it's a lazy one that's the same thing that happens in Twilight in Twilight Bella is a completely vacant character because teenage girls are meant to put themselves in her position and imagine this sort of romantic fantasy in which these two sexy you know supernatural beings are fighting over her like <laughs> like that is that's not a I'm not saying that isn't what's happening. I'm saying that's not a good thing. Like, and the reason I bring up Annie Hall as an example is I think Annie Hall does many of the same things in which you see these people fall in love and you see these people fall out of love and you see it happen within the realm of memories and you all, but at the same time, uh, you know, the character of Annie Hall is not a cipher. You understand where Mm -hmm. she's coming from. And the character of Alvy Singer is not a cipher. You understand where he's coming from and you see why they like each other and you see why they pull apart. and, that's all very cognizant. Here, there's nothing. There's nothing in this film that suggests why Clementine would ever be interested in Joel. Um, there's and and I mean, I understand if I mean people bring baggage to movies, and I understand people like to project things. But I think that is. I think this movie would be stronger if instead of. Um, completely filling the characters in yourself you got to relate to them because they were they felt like real people i do relate to them well no no no. My, my point is my point is when a character is underwritten such as this and it expects you to fill in the blanks that just seems more functional to me than that seems baldly functional that seems like this is a and instead of instead of relating to these people as humans as like take an extreme example a movie like a separation is amazing at Making every character feel like a completely well-rounded human, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like instead of seeing the film like that, you're you baldly just see the the strings being pulled, and that is the problem with a lot of other you know romantic comedies and stuff. And I think a lot of problems with other romantic comedies, you know, more mainstream, less intellectual and less sophisticated comedies than this one have are still present here. I feel
1: like that maybe even just the process itself. It's like our strings are being pulled because. Joel's strings are being pulled. No, 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 no,
2: no, 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 no. That is that is a bullshit thematic connection. There's no reason to. I don't like that sort of thing where you can make some kind of connection and then you assume it justifies it or makes it a good choice. Like that's mm-hmm. the. No, that's not. I I strongly disagree with that. I think the I think the problem is that they had is that they did not have an idea of characters. They had an idea of a process called Lucuno. That's. Uh, that is accepted. That's what I understand. I mean, I haven't, I didn't do a lot of research in, um, before doing this episode into the making of the film, but from what I remember from you know reading IMDb trivia and interviews and such is, um, uh, Charlie Kaufman had an idea: what if you received a letter that said that you had been erased from someone's memory, mm-hmm. and they built from there. So I think that instead of, and I and I think that the the structure of the film, and I think the process of that. And I think the idea of going through memories and stuff like that is what is the main focus of – the main thing they focused on. And as a result, the main characters that we're supposed to be invested in are underdeveloped, and that hurts it. And I understand that doesn't hurt it for everybody, but that definitely hurts it for me. Um, Let me
3: let me let me float a theory just before we move on, because we have been on this one point for a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, But but maybe it's not that these two characters are underwritten so much. And I think you you kind of did allude to this, that Joel is underwritten. I can understand why he would be drawn to somebody like Clementine. And I can I can get a lot of sense of her of how she how she screws guys up, but how they're drawn to her and how that that really kind of messes with her with each subsequent guy cuz i've 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 met girls like this who you know they they just they can't find the right guy and they they feel partially responsible but maybe it is that joel seems underwritten that we can't like you said we can't see what she would see in him other than just he's a nice guy, and he's not charming. He's not especially creative. Or like, he funny. Does he's kind of funny, but he's he's funny. Like when they're doing their little date outside of the uh, outside of the drive-in, that's pretty right, funny, right? And oh, the, oh yeah, and the, but, and, but the, the and the
2: and the joke I always remember when she's like, "That's the first trick in the stalker book," and he's like, "Oh, there's a stalker it's book." A stalker book. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, but I think that I think that's what it is. Is that Joel? And, and we're we're seeing
3: most of this through Joel's and eyes. And this is and this may be.
2: So I and I understand we're seeing most of it through Joel's eyes, but you can't make the argument that it's well, it's it's all through his it, the whole movie's from his perspective because the movie's from a lot of different people's perspectives. Yeah, but that's I think
3: I think that's where that's the that's the more specific hiccup and that is, is is that Joel not not so much that the two characters are underwritten is that Joel is underwritten, which is strange given that we're mostly seeing it for him.
2: That is, and that's an interesting point, and that's actually brings me to my next complaint. And again, these are things that bring it from an A plus to an A, really <laughs> you know, like too. all time. It brings it through one of the greatest movies ever to just a masterpiece.
1: And I just want to say for the record that I think projecting is a good thing. <laughs> like for yeah. for like for for me, a lot of my favorite movies tend to feel like therapy, and uh, too. and that's very very um uh, it's a very significant reason why this movie works so well for me because it's like um, experiencing a relationship that was very similar and i feel i feel grateful if i can have a movie experience where i can separate myself but also put myself on screen like in a way I've moved past this, I'm, I'm glad that this part of my life is over with right. or whatever. But I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, that the characters themselves, you should be able to completely immerse yourself in their experience, but it's difficult for me to separate my emotions when something like that, when moments in the movie, maybe not the characters themselves, but moments, yeah. moments in this movie really hit home, yeah. like in like yeah. the when they're lying in bed and, you know, he's not talking and she says, you know, uh, I, you know, like that, that whole miscommunication, cognitive dissonance between the two of them. Ooh, it's painful. So that, I, that, I, I think that I like ice
3: it. cold dinner in the, uh, in the Chinese, Chinese restaurant. restaurant? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, oh. I
1: honestly feel like though a
2: lot of its observations about relationships are not, like, I don't think that is what separates this film from other movies. I think those are things that are made a lot. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think that the, uh, I think there are a lot of films that depict relationships in that manner and that's not what – I don't think those are these films' strong points. But I want to talk about casting because we're going to also talk talk about it with Science of Sleep and how vital casting can be. I honestly think – I can't imagine any other actress in the role of Clementine because the way she's written – like I can't imagine anyone making that not grating and just like – like Kate Winslet – I mean she's obviously just beautiful – and has a great personality, and she is the kind of person you want to love. But she also is able to make this underwritten character very human and very understandable, and not just seem like, uh, you know, like, like oh, she is just a function of the script. Mm-hmm. She is the she's not a not a fucking MacGuffin where it's like, yeah, she's what he desires because he is woman. You
1: know, like it's like a good kind of manic that totally works. Like, I mean, it's. There's there's definitely moments in history where you can see like a um, like even Natalie Portman in Garden State who I don't entirely which just came like, out the same
2: year as this by the way eh, that's, yeah that's interesting but yeah. I mean
1: just like there are those the the, the, the fine line between caricature and carica- character and I, I do want to emphasize something because I was thinking about this like manic pixie dream
2: girl the term you know coin <laughs> the popular term coined by Nathan Rabin like Elizabeth obviously Town. obviously the biggest sort of the part where it became an indie cliche was sort of Garden State and then it was sort of everywhere, but
1: Elizabethtown, like, though, from that was a But
2: that's a real life cliche before it ever took over indie light movies, you know? Like, sure. that was a real, like, that's a real thing. And I think that in some ways Kate Winslet's character subverts that by so baldly exposing all the things that are horrible about a person like that. The emotional instability of yeah. someone like that, you know? So I do respect that, and I think, but I do think that as written, like I'm, I would not give the credit of that character at all to Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman for writing the script. I would give it all to to uh, Kate Winslet, who does such an amazing job. And you know, and she, she
1: even said on like that she was sort of instructed to be Jim Carrey, like to have the sort of extroverted, um, not necessarily like class clown kind of. Well, I'm, lo- you know, luckily
2: she didn't take their advice because if she played it like Jim Carrey, she'd then be she would out of her butt. Well, no, yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if she played like Jim Carrey, she'd play it way too. She would play it way too big, and she doesn't yeah. play it too big, and she she plays it real. And you want to look at the other hand, Jim Carrey. I mean, you want to. I mean, sad sack characters. I get that's sort of Charlie Kaufman's thing. I don't think he's written a script without a sad sack main character. Very true. But the difference between Jim, like, if you, but when you like line them up. And you look at John Cusack and Being John Malkovich, and you look at Nicolas Cage in Adaptation, and you look about Philip Seymour Hoffman in uh, in New York, and then you look at Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is, like, so lost uh, about what to do.
1: Um, He's a bit of a blank slate. I mean, maybe that he's just playing the, you know, like, the the, the nature of the character pretty well in some ways. What do you mean? Well, I think that in some ways his... You know, if he it, like, I agree to some extent that for, like for the first fifteen minutes, I couldn't get a good you know uh, read on why he was downplaying it so much it to says, where he's unengaging in any yeah. way. Like, why would she be attracted to him? Um, I think slowly as you get to know Joel and hear things about like all he does is write in his journal and he doesn't really communicate. Um, I think he. I don't know. It's like one of those things where I believe that Jim Carrey. Is not a great dramatic actor. I don't even think he's good in a, in a Man in the Moon and when he's imitating Andy Kaufman. Um, you didn't
3: like him in Truman Show?
1: He's fine. He's fine in Truman Show. I think he has his moments where, I don't know, I just, I, I, I agree with, because I know Jay mentioned the thing that sours him is the scene in the car with during the opening credits just seeing Jim Carrey, like, crying. Oh, my God, it's horrible. I would, <laughs> I would agree... <laughs> That is not quality acting. I don't think he sells that moment in any way. It's not a good choice. Also, it
2: doesn't help. He was forty two, and the character is clearly written as like twenty seven or something. Yeah, like he seems he, like it he would be. He, a like Michelle especially Gondry when he's sitting in. when he's sitting in his when he's sitting in her apartment, and he has that fucking like sweater and like shirt. Like it looks like an SNL sketch. Like it is ridiculous looking. He hmm. is. I mean that's, place. that's one part of miscasting is that he's just way too fucking old and you actually – you'll see that again in I think Be Kind Rewind. Um, the second time i watching it, I, it became clear to me that Jack Black's character was supposed to be really old.
3: <laughs> like, well, here's here's something for you to munch on though because apparently uh, Carrie's role was was offered first and this would have been a totally different movie. was offered first to Nicolas Cage.
2: That's a, mm. still
3: too old. Like no, that's a horrible. Well, I know, idea. No, too old, but it's just it would have been just so friggin' totally different. I, I can't even if he's playing it as normal as Nick Cage gets. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that that Carrie does bring to this thing. Uh, the, probably the only thing that he really brings to the, the the character of Joel is he's got this weird fragility. Like he he looks like a stiff breeze is going to blow him over, which is kind of part of the reason why. <laughs> probably now. probably <laughs> because
2: he lo- probably because the young person's clothes makes him look even older.
3: <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, well, just you know, just the way he's he he's seems always, out of place. He's he's always in like he's always in that
2: stupid toque. He's
3: he's like he's he dress he dresses like a dork is what he is he's a huge dork in this movie, and he's probably i don't know he might just be a huge dork in real life, but he he doesn't he doesn't seem right for the thing, but yeah that's that's kind of I don't know something about the all of those imperfections and that awkwardness about him it, it kind of makes you feel that much more sorry that he's in this this whole situation that he's you know that he's in a bad relationship and that he's gone so far as to say you know i I want it totally out of my mind I never want to think about this again. And then, you know, that he comes to and decides, no, well, actually, that was a bad idea, too. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's you, – you weren't going to get that with somebody like Nicolas Cage. You probably wouldn't have even got that with John Cusack as much as I love him. No,
2: I think all this – I think you just keep naming people that are too old. I think they should have named <laughs> someone age-appropriate. Like, I think they should have named – you know, what if it was – I don't know – James, well what was, like someone what, James, James Franco, Franco aged or something like that yeah, or, like, but,
3: or, or one of the other guys in this movie who who makes a run at Clementine what if Elijah Wood was in it That, that would have been perfect. Elijah Wood would have been great. I I love him cuz then he would have looked like he was going to cry the whole movie yeah. just like he always does. No and <laughs> I, I I
2: mean I really do love I love that Elijah Wood plays against type and plays just a total creep um and I do love him in this movie. Elijah <laughs> I, Wood would have been sure. great. I don't know why they were talking to people who are so old because there's nothing in the film that suggests, like, there's no mention at all, like, oh, he's fucking, like, 15 years older than her.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, that's that's a significant thing that no one ever mentions, and it just feels, like, ridiculous to me. I also just it
1: think... It seems to work better in something like Greenberg, where it's well, sort no, of that's addressed. The, that's,
2: well, right, no, exactly. You have to address it. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's just what you have to do. Otherwise, it's ridiculous looking. It's like those... It's like those uh, those movies, sort of towards the end of when Woody Allen was starring mm-hmm. in films. And he but was- in
1: contrast, I still think that the, that Carrie sells the moment uh, towards the end with the house crumbling, and I wish I would have stayed. Like I think that. Maybe it's because we've had so much emotional investment at this right. point that that's why it works, I don't think and maybe it's, it's not a, because I'm, of I am his not acting. Saying, I
2: am not saying it's a horrible performance. I, I think the, the crying in the car scene and the sort of the awkwardly and just sort of the way he's costumed can be kind of super glaring, but I don't think it's a horrible performance. No, I don't I, think it's horrible. Probably the best performance of Jim Carrey's career. Um, so I'm not – again – we're talking about the difference between A plus and A, but uh, I really, I, um, I just think that it would have been better served. And I, some reason it didn't even occur to me, Elijah Wood. Yeah, someone like him, someone who, uh, you Shorter? know, who can, um, who, can <laughs> who is a, who's a dramatic actor who, who
1: can, I mean, know, maybe act if he in a film
2: that requires
1: acting. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't maybe, know that's he, a little, if, maybe I'm crazy. If he hadn't <laughs> been in Science of Sleep, I think Gail Gar- Garcia Bernal might have been, might have been, might have worked. Um, I do want to uh, talk uh, real to make, quick. Sure. I'm sorry, go, ahead go, ahead, go ahead. ahead go no go well, ahead, i was Ryan. gonna say like the
3: one last thing just to kind of put a point on it maybe yeah. the, there's something slightly sadder about an older dude going through this because like if, if we went with elijah wood he's he's about 23 when this movie comes out you're in a bad relationship you're 23 oh well you dust yourself off you get back to normal and you're, you go ahead jim carrey he was 40 whatever that, that like that's a Kind of a big blow, and it. it's, it's, if it, like, but you, it, you almost think, you almost think that by that point you would know better.
2: Yes. I, I would a hundred percent agree with that if the person playing, if the person playing Clementine, if like Clementine the character wasn't clearly written as, uh, like, if there wasn't such a huge age difference between them and it was just about older people. Yeah.
3: Because Clementine, because
2: Clementine is written, you can't imagine as like mid 30s. Like, you can't. Like, you can't make that character older as written. So, it's strange. I think, like, it's, you
3: know, I've I've watched this movie dozens of times, though, and this is actually the first time I'm thinking about the age difference. (laughs) Really? It's true. true,
1: I I don't know why. It's just that.
2: That was the first. That was, I thought, I mean, I. The first thing you noticed. (laughs) I mean, I love, I even, like, this was, like, one of my favorite movies ever when I first saw it. And it's still, like, you know, one of my favorite movies, but um, this is probably top five first time I saw it. And that was still something I. Just noticed immediately but i mean again that speaks to the power of the rest of the film and i do want to emphasize the rest of the film is incredible
3: incredible yeah. uh, so what, what's what's the last thing that holds it back uh, i no,
2: imagine no, no, that's only it one. that was oh, it that's it, oh, that's it. i I, I wanted to talk about i wanted to talk about i mean obviously michelle gondry which we did we mostly talked about the script and the performances <laughs> though i do think part of michelle gondry's problem about directing american films is as as not an as someone who clearly doesn't speak native english Um, You know, and who, you know, I think maybe as a director, he is not good at directing actors. Um,
3: I don't know about that part. What I was going to say, like when I was thinking about him for this episode and we'll get more, we'll get to this more in the next movie we talk about. I don't think he's I don't think he's as good a writer director yeah. as he is just a straight director. Like I would give my right nut to see what he would do with like a Wes Anderson script. I know Anderson hangs on to his own scripts, <laughs> but I, I would love to see what he would do with, with something like that. The, 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 the subsequent movies after this, be, Quiet, be kind, rewind and, uh, and science of sleep. Those were both his own. And, and I have mixed feelings on both of those two films, but I, I think that's, you, you, had this great marriage, of of writer and director working on the property, and yeah. they just they both they both played in the same little corner of the sandbox. I, I think that's the thing is it's it's not so much that he can't direct in English as so much as he can't write as well in English.
1: Um, that and might be true. That might absolutely be true. Well, I mean, I
2: mean, I I think Science of Sleep was not in English. It's mostly. In, I mean, I, I guess French it's, it's French, Spanish, Spanish and English. Yeah,
3: it's, yeah, it's, a, it's just a weird little bouillabaisse of yeah. of languages. But but you know, just just as a writer for 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 North American audiences, I don't. I think that his as a writer, his stories don't land but, quite the same. I mean, as Charlie Coffins do. You,
1: I, w- I wanted to ask this. I should have asked this at the top. But Ryan, have you seen Human Nature? Because this is the same pairing here. I have not. Okay um, I have not either i so. I saw it a long time ago, and I have a very vague recollection of it. I just remember because of how much I was affected by eternal sunshine um, it just did not have that same feeling of uh you know cohesion and you know unity between these two minds. It felt very disjointed. it felt like they were almost fighting against each other. the ideas and the the visual style of it and the acting definitely seemed kind of inconsistent but again there are ideas there that are worth you know seeing just because Kaufman I don't know I almost feel like you remember after Scream when Kevin Williamson put out I know what you did last summer because it was a script that he had in a drawer that he yeah. figured he can just you know get it made now that now that he made Scream I feel I almost feel like that might have happened with Kaufman after uh, being John Malkovich because it seems like a first time script i don't know if that's true obviously kaufman did a lot with tv um beforehand he re- he wrote for a lot of uh, sitcoms like get a life and all these weird shows and stuff but um it it just didn't feel like it felt like an incomplete first draft of a screenplay and ah, man i feel the ideas in eternal sunshine it could take up for me it would take a whole other 2 hour podcast because, um, as some of you know, I'm highly invested in the world of psychology and neuroscience. And you can blame this movie for partially <laughs> in, uh, getting me interested in just you know brain scans and stuff like that. Not that I thought this was actually a real technology, but there are a lot of articles that if you look into it, we're getting close. Not necessarily to this type of procedure, but just something similar but we'll save that for a, a nerdier podcast that I'll do at And some I point. almost, I mean
2: because again this movie is so beloved and so well known and well seen and discussed I, I do feel it's almost it's almost a little redundant to talk about the brilliant visual styles that Michel Gondry employs. Like I mean, the idea of that when they're running through the bookstore and all the books are disappearing one by one, like through stop motion they don't turn and
3: blank—that's the—that's the part I love. Is and it's like probably one of my favorite moments of the whole damn movie is they're they're standing there, they are talking in an aisle, and if you're not watching, you won't see it happen. But the books start turning; their, their spines all start turning blank. Mm-hmm. They all start going oh, really? right. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's 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 the subtlest touch, but you you know, it's like this this erase is coming. So but they they have no clue it's just it's coming in a very, very weird little fashion, but yeah, watch next time you watch this movie, watch the spines of those books when they're talking in the aisle, and they just they start very, very subtly going white in this random little pattern
1: or there's a moment like we talked about before where they're lying in bed and he's like half asleep and she's trying to talk to him, and she's holding a cup of coffee. Watch that coffee cup with the picture of her on it it That also fades away, and it's, oh, cool. there's, there's no, I never caught that one there's no cut there, basically, um like he had the camera positioned in a way to where Kate Winslet literally had to change cups while she was talking, so huh. it's like little things like that that he he employs that I find you know, kind of ballsy to try, and he pulls it off. This is...
2: No, this is definitely... I mean, one of the problems you you look at a movie like Green Green Hornet or something, one of the problems is you have someone like Michelle Gondry. How do you make a coherent narrative and not have his skills go to waste? And... That's think think what this made
1: the, me so sad watching Green Hornet, and I, and I think this is a
2: perfect example of that. Um, and I think, I think, I honestly think Science of Sleep is an even better example of that because it's more impressionistic and strange.
1: Well, let's talk about that one, guys. I'm,
2: uh, I'm, did you, does anyone else have any final thoughts about Science of Sleep? I mean, a, I'm sorry about uh, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. It's love it
1: yeah
3: (laughs) i feel sorry for anybody who hasn't seen it yet i also at the same time feel very envious of them because they're about to watch it for the first time right if only there Uh, was a
2: way like what it we could we could like have not seen it like maybe reverse the process uh, of having oh god um, what would that be called
1: anyway it's it's a masterpiece and uh if you we've we, we
3: mentioned it earlier, but I for one of the things that I just love about it is even just the shot of them lying on their backs on the ice with the crack going through the ice, dividing them. Uh, it's as as somebody who's like attracted to visuals every once in a while, I see a shot that I wish I had done. And that's one of those shots.
1: Yeah, I agree. Totally. And if you want to email me and learn more about memory dampening, you can do that because <laughs> I will be talking about that in the future. All right. Um uh all right so we're we ready to talk about science of sleep please cuz I love talking about dreams too. All right. <laughs> I got to
3: be honest I was a little grumpy with you guys when I rewatched this yesterday because I was not enjoying it. Like I I was kind of rewatching it in homework capacity. I did see this film when it played in theaters and um Kurt and I were talking yesterday at the lightbox about um what's the other Brisson film? What's the one about the donkey? Uh, Balthazar um Help me here, guys. Hold
2: on. I don't know. I'm, I'm
3: looking I was thinking
1: Balthazar Getty. Yeah, Balthazar Yeti. No, Balthazar, <laughs> <getty>. Balthazar, <laughs> Al, Al, Al Hazard.
3: Hazard Balthazar. Yeah. and Because Kurt saw that yesterday before we watched Pickpocket, and I was saying – when he was talking about it, I said, OK, well, that sounds awesome. I got to track it down. And he said, oh, I don't know how well it's going to play – for you at home like he goes watching it in a theater with nowhere to go where you're deeply invested in it it plays one way but if you're watching it at home I don't know if the pace would would work quite as well and I got to thinking that was what I thought about The Science Sleep when I watched it in theaters when it was released um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't crazy about it then either but I was more invested when I was watching it again uh, last night for this show I was like Jesus this is a slog wow um, so, yeah, I do I can't. I can't really explain why, but Lordy, but please let's. Uh, it's going to be an interesting up. conversation okay. then.
1: Yeah. It will. One, two, it
0: will. Seven, Hi, welcome back. Tonight, I'll show you how dreams are prepared. Love,
2: friendships, relationships, and all those
0: ships. Hello? Are you trying to mock me on the air? If you close. So what's your name? Stefan. Stefan. Stephanie. Stefan. Stephanie. Click, click, catch match. She has no boyfriend. You can see real life in 3D. Isn't life already in 3D? Um, yeah, but come on. Stephanie is a talented composer. Oh, really? A pretty girl with talent that deserves to be mentioned. Yeah. You don't know, have this neighbor that is very pretty, actually. Uh oh. <laughs> Danger. Stefan has always confused his dreams with reality. You have something to say? I like you. You mean in a romantic way? You will never date her, okay? She will drive you crazy. I never get the one I like anyways. I know you're there. What's your head?
2: It's okay. It's not normal though.
0: It's never
2: going to be. After the runaway critical success of Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind and the high-profile DVD release of his music videos, anticipation was high for Michelle Gondry's next fictional film. Proving itself too weird for mainstream audiences and critics alike, Science of Sleep is an unusual and autobiographical tale about a young man, Stefan, played by Gail Garcia Bernal, with the trouble discerning the difference between dreams and reality, and his rocking rela- rocky relationship with his creative neighbor, Stefani, played by Charlotte Gainsbourg. Now this is this is a film I first saw on DVD back when I was working at Blockbuster and I I loved Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, and I loved his music videos and I was excited about it and I watched it and I had like begrudging respect because it's so unus <laughs> it was like unusual and it was weird but it was something I really uh, but at the same time it was something I had no investment in in any way and I did feel it was a slog. Um, so this rewatch kind of blew my mind because I really think this is michelle gondry's best film wow yeah no i'm i'm aware i'm in the minority and uh but you're gonna get lots of hate mail now that's fine that's fine i mean it's not like i'm trash talking (laughs) eternal sunshine or anything but i this this is a film that to me works on its that works 100 on its on its own rules and it and it to me is a premise that that works best with Michelle Gunn, That is, uh, Let me say it's the most Michelle Gondry-esque movie you could possibly imagine and yeah. it plays to his strengths um, while at the same time, which I always knew, again, but I was surprised that I really did find myself invested in the story, um, mostly because, again, we're going to talk about casting. I think Gail Garcia Bernal's casting is brilliant um, because his character of Stefan is a total creep and weirdo. <laughs> like really just a <laughs> creep and and but at the same time like this is an autobiographical movie michel gondry before he um before he first got a job as a, a, in a like a photography firm he worked at a print shop and he hated it and you know uh and uh so and then this and uh he is uh, you know he is someone who gets a lot of his ideas from dreams and he is you
1: know someone who does live this super twee lifestyle <laughs> he's definitely in, chest, in in touch with his childlike sense right. of wonder
2: and yeah. so to me this feels like an like the world's most like self-flagellating autobiography because at the same because at the same time you feel excited about uh, uh, Michelle I'm sorry Stefan's uh well I mean same character basically but anyway you same way you feel excited about Stefan's sort of inventions and his ideas and his and and sort of his imagination and the way his you know the way his dreams play out which by the way I easily some of my favorite dream sequences that have ever just the sort of stream of consciousness nature of it, and the way you get little bits and pieces of the way his day, you know, where his day was from, coming in, and the sort of anxiety of anxieties of the day, and mm-hmm. the uh, I mean, the the grow the giant hands are something that came from Michelle Gondry's real life dreams, that like a recurring thing that came from his dreams. Um, so you 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 respect and like this person, and the fact that it's Michelle uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, at least for me, like I think it it solves a lot of the problems that this character could have had and as i understand a lot of the problems people do have with this character which is to say um i think he's too charming to be completely off-putting um i th- i think he he's just too naturally charming and charismatic and enjoyable to watch i think he's too handsome um to be completely sexless which again is another sort of uh, is is another it's sort a weird of
1: weird subversion because i feel like yeah, I agree with that, but he doesn't seem to be in touch with that. No, part.
2: no, no. I mean, cuz the problem is, the character as written could have easily been written as like weird sexless as opposed to scared of sex, which yeah. is what the character's supposed to be, but just it could know have how easily to process been it. exactly and is afraid of it. Yeah. But um I think he's but I think just the fact that he's too handsome and the fact that he was the star of one of the greatest, you know, movies about sex ever made, he Tempien, plays a big part in that as well. Um Uh, Not that that movie is necessarily, quote-unquote, about sex, but the sex is definitely sort of Mm -hmm. the main driving force of everything that happens there. Um, There's that part, and there's the part that uh, he has enough childlike wonder in his eyes that he's able to convincingly play a Michelle Gondry standalone without seeming, like, completely ridiculous.
1: Why didn't he play Willy Wonka? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he would have been a great William – like like Gail Garcia I Bernal. I just
3: listening to that show today too. Holy jeez, guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Whenever
2: Gail Garcia Bernal's eyes light up, you get super excited because there is something in him that when he gets excited for something, you see gears in his head working. Mm-hmm. And that is – which makes him a perfect Michelle Gondry stand-in. And at the same time um, – but at the same time, he is such a creep and he is – and we're, we even see through the character of his neighbor, Stephanie – Like, that isn't necessary to be a creative person. She made those horses, like, she's interested in what he's saying, but he is just... But as opposed to someone who balances that with their boring day job or whatever, he's someone who's unable to function and to process all that. But what I like about the film is it never asks us to to look at him as anything other than a creep. It sympathizes, it understands him, but at the same time, like... like what? What makes it work for me is number one. I, I, you, you know, if you know me from this show or whatever, you know, I'm genuinely oppo- generally opposed to like things that are a little too twee and cute and like, oh, let's build a birdhouse and let's make it out of marshmallows. Like, <laughs> but then he surprises us with loving Miranda July movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I mean that was that was a brutal movie. You can't tell well, me yeah. the future is it's cute. not twee. No, that is that's a brutal, brutal movie. But like. The only person who can convincingly make a movie like that is Michel Gondry because Michel Gondry, number one, you never get the idea that he thinks he's being like, oh, look how cute I am. Like, you get the idea that Michel Gondry, that's who he is. Mm -hmm. That's just he cannot help it. And number two, you get the idea from this film that he wishes he couldn't – he wasn't that – he wishes that he was strong and he yeah. was more masculine and that he was able to process feelings he in a wishes way that he wasn't
1: so messy, silly and strange and weird and
2: exactly <laughs> and that's what this movie is about. It's him dealing with like self-hatred almost um, Ooh, but at the yeah. same time at
1: the same time this the... feels like therapy for him
2: yeah, no, exactly, but at the same time, the visual ideas he employs, the way mm. that the dream world and the real world interact where um, when Mich- when uh i'm sorry stefan is super sleepy you see him from behind his eyes um the way that that's right, awesome which it, is great <laughs> and it keeps cutting between that the way that there's a casual um fan fant- fantasy element to the to the even the real world elements where mm-hmm. you know like his mom's boyfriend claps his hands and makes food disappear off the table and the way that he plays a certain chord on the piano and clouds float in the air like
1: yeah, I could totally see Michelle Gondry doing those types of things, and that's yeah. kind of what's. I don't know. It's it's such a weird movie, for, and it's like, I I will openly admit that I love this movie very 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 much, but I will also admit it's completely self indulgent. Um, it's messy, but in a very charming way. I think self. In, my problem is I think self indulgent implies. But that I think self indulgence is good. It. Like, I no no no. I'm no not, I mean, I'm, I'm so, not
2: saying that you even mean it in a bad way, but I think self indulgence implies. I think this is. I'm not saying this isn't. I think. I think the problem with the term "self indulgent" is implies that oh, these are all the things I love, and I love this about what I like to do, and mm-hmm. this is. I'm putting everything I love in here. Well, this is like a film about self hatred as much as anything.
1: Well, and maybe that's just you know his choice to to have that kind of approach might be indulgent because it's not necessarily like focusing on a narrative. Or you know uh, something that like something that people can grasp onto, right. because I think this movie is very alienating for a I lot of under- people.
2: I completely understand that, and that that was alienating the first time I saw it.
1: Yeah, and I I I liked it a lot the first time I saw it. I mean, again, you have some element; it's it's in the background more with this movie, but there's definitely like. Um, you know an autobiographical element of him and his father and his father passed away from cancer and then i was dealing with that so there's again more personal things that go into me loving this movie baggage yeah baggage definitely i, I was living in an apartment and lusting after my neighbor at one point yeah um and this one's like
3: right up broadway for you dude. yeah <laughs> oh yes, for sure wow
1: but um no i mean i th- i don't I don't know it's it's weird because my reaction to the final scene in the apartment is so like, I cringe because of how uncomfortable it is. Not necessarily because, like, I I would relate to that at all, but just like he comes across as so sexist all of a sudden and really uncomfortable. Well, he's and... just, he's lashing out. Yeah, I know, I mean, know, maybe you've never
2: had a moment like that, but I think he is, Not he's really. an emotionally, I think he's emotionally, I mean, he's emotionally stunned man Manchild, a, yeah, 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 yeah. and when you just want to hurt someone, you're just going to say mean things, regardless of whether that's your actual viewpoint from life or... And he, at that point, he just wants to
1: hurt her. That's not my approach, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I'm, say, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that has to be that way, but I'm just, I want to say that I love movies where characters, you know, can't, you know, they lose their grasp of reality. And when you incorporate dreams or dreamlike imagery and the dreams in this movie are fucking phenomenal. I love them. the stop motion is beautiful. Yeah, everything about it, it totally reminds me of the original, you know, visionary style of, uh, you know, Sam Raimi's early work in terms of how... You know, again, I've used this word a lot, but organic, and I like that approach, and really? I think it's a very good movie. I think, well, I mean, in terms of like, I'm, I'm, of I I'm you said that gluing things together. You know, the, the way that you tie Sam Raimi to organic
2: is strange to me because well, I've never, well, in being, a million years, connect those. I, I want to say words. like
1: being just like figuring out ways to make a camera. Do okay, stuff. inventive. Yeah, All I right. mean, but I think he's done that in on the spot. In, in ways like where he got, you know, the camera to push through the cabin. He invented that technique on the spot. Right. You know, in the same way like that Orson Welles did with Citizen Kane. He came up with stuff. Let's try this and built his own equipment. And I feel the like other, that's I what mean, Michelle. The Gundry other thing does. I like
2: about this movie is that the camera work is so intimate, um, it, which mm-hmm. again, makes all the magical, which gives the ma- all the magical sort of fantastical fantastical elements of, you know, the cotton floating in the air and the one-second time machine, right. um, it gives it uh, such an unusual take because, I mean, it's Michel Gondry's style is to – for things to kind of ramshackle and put together and, and DIY and homemade and that's what – DIY, yeah, for
1: sure. D- DIY Very
2: spirit much. is what he's all about. Like that's, that's, that's sort of one of his main drives is that he wants people to make their own thing and to – you know, and he wants people to use their imaginations. Well, and stuff. since we've
1: heaped a lot of yeah, praise, yeah, 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 I want to hear. I want to hear yeah.
2: Ryan's uh, main sort of issues with the film. Please do. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, okay.
3: Well, as I as I mentioned earlier, with uh, me saying that Gondry works better when he's when he's playing with other people, when he's not just coloring with every crayon in the box over in his corner of the, the, the playground. <laughs> um, it, it actually got me thinking about. Um, My wife just went and saw a show on Broadway called um, Seminar uh, with um, Alan Rickman's in it and um there's actually a pretty good like she was she sometimes she um takes a pass at my writing and it's it's really really uh, a, a weird relationship sometimes because and it leads to arguments because she looks at things like an editor and i look at things like a writer and i'm like why are you always an editor what the hell but the, the <laughs> point is that where where i need the editor and where i think uh gondry needs a co-creator to kind of work as an editor for him whether it's a you know somebody who who's writing the work that he's going to then translate into the film is the the, the quote goes that a good editor will show you how to say what you mean or even show you what you meant when you didn't even realize it. And I, I I really think that as personal a story as this was, and probably especially because it's such a personal story that I didn't even realize until you guys just pointed it out that he needed some guidance, that it it makes sense to him the same way that when I'm writing, it makes sense to me because it's in my head. But, the the moment that you go to show it to somebody else and you want them to latch on to somebody who likes making, you know, likes dumping out crinoline little water onto somebody on the ground and all of a sudden it turns into actual water, you need somebody to kind of filter that just that little bit that it's going to be a little bit more broad and not quite so personal. I I couldn't. I couldn't dig into this story at all. I thought everything that he was doing was really, really cool, but I, I his actual story, his actual journey, I couldn't latch on to for the life of me.
2: Huh. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> no, no no no. <laughs> no, no, no. I say, huh? But, I mean, I I say haunt because I don't know what else to say, but I I really do understand this is an alienating movie in the way that it does not pull any punches with the kind of creep that Gail Garcia Bernal is and the way it doesn't hold your hand. um, I will say that it doesn't have the kind of brilliant sort of structure that Eternal Sunshine has where, despite the fact that there's a lot of different timelines and stuff going on, you always know where you are like this is
3: something like this this really really felt for me this this really felt like sitting down and flipping through michelle gondry's sketchbook i like i i kind of felt like he was drafting a lot of creative ideas and a lot of really really cool things onto this story whether or not they fit into the story or not
2: i what, what 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 do you feel did not fit into the story
3: um well you know it kind of it it was a lot of time well first of all okay just sometimes it was just too kooky or too mean or one step over like like his uh when he goes to the workplace when he goes to the the calendar print shop and you've got like you've got a staff of three and they're divided (laughs) i'm like come on and not only that but the guy who's who's on the opposite side the one who's one against two he feels like he has to make up for it by calling them – what do he calls them dikes half the time or he fags, calls them,
1: fags fags one fags, part fags and, and rucks, dykes the other yeah. part
2: yeah
3: yeah
1: exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm
3: like like you're 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 playing him i realize that you probably didn't like that guy when you went to work at that print shop but you're playing him a little bit too much like honestly, a cartoon. honestly i
2: think he's funny like i i think one of that comedy very like, broad the, the well it is it's broad but i think it's also kind of it's just unusual enough that it's and it's just kind of strange enough, um, especially with the way that all the different languages are utilized and stuff. That I did like. I like. I'm,
3: uh, I'm a, two things. One, I'm a big fan of language, and two, I'm really, really, really big fan of of films that set themselves. You know, even though this is specifically set in Paris, it's not a specifically. French film, it's not right. specifically Spanish film. I love when a film tries to think outside of just one one avenue like that. So I did love that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I sure. honestly the, that was the, one of the main connections I made between. I mean, other than visual style, one of the main connections I made between this film and like Eternal Sunshine, it, like the characters of Jane Adams and David Cross and Eternal Sunshine are very strange. Like David <laughs> like there's just that one part David Cross is like I'm building a birdhouse. That's, that's one of the biggest laughs in the whole <laughs> Yeah, movie. like that I think that the character of the that David Cross plays is very similar to the character that the uh gee the the sort of the uh, <laughs> the eight the the aging punk uh, sexist. <laughs> like I think they're very similar characters <laughs> in how outrageous they are and how funny they are. Like I thought
1: I thought that added a lot cuz I just I think they're very entertaining and... It's weird because I find myself laughing a lot more in Science Asleep, but feeling really? a lot more... Feeling a lot well, more in Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine has its moment. One of my... Probably my
2: favorite laugh and my probably the biggest laugh for me in Eternal Sunshine... Uh, is Kirsten Dunst going what are we going to do what are we going to do and then and Mark Ruffalo goes stop saying that and then she goes what are
1: we going to do and then she puts her hands over her mouth like she just <laughs> revealed a secret yeah she's so good in that Oh my I, no no Kirsten I, really Dunst quickly is great. though I got to yeah. say that one of the hugest reasons too I think Eternal Sunshine is so incredibly moving is um, I think John Bryan's score is one of my favorites ever. Yeah, I think we it's forgot so to mention that. Beautiful. See, and, and
3: that's and that's the thing is like that. That's the kind of thing that's missing from Science to Sleep. Like you don't have the John Bryan score. We already mentioned you don't have the Charlie Kaufman well, think, script. It's 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 very much more a personal movie. It strikes me, you know, what was the, that small one that you mentioned? Uh, what was the small Kaufman one? The one that came right after uh, Human Nature. Being yeah, like this was probably his his human nature i might have even like like it part of it just might have been like i didn't want to spend 106 minutes with this guy like i might have liked this a little bit more as a short film uh, really? i i just I, I just he he really really started to to get to me after a if, while like i realized, I, understand he was, I, realized you- he, I realized he was screwed up and i realized that he just he was kind of in over his head with with Stephanie and not, you know, here's a girl that he, he really, really cares about but he doesn't know how to connect with her. Um, I, I just I, – I I had to sit there and think there's got to be a better way. <laughs> you yeah. know,
0: than, than, well, than well, believe me. I mean I understand <laughs> that because
2: that that is how I felt the first time through. So the I understand the feeling of like I want to like this more but I just can't lock in. But like yeah. I don't know what it was this time. Like I just found the story so compelling and again, I think it's just Gail Garcia Bernal is so – Perfectly cast, and I think, um, and also, I just think it's compelling to actively watch a director basically yell at himself. And yeah. I, and I think when, and maybe, and I think I, the first time I saw it, I obviously, I had no idea how, you know, how autobiographical it was or whatever. And going in this time, having, you know, read a little about, but read a, read about Michelle Gondry in order to prepare for this episode and stuff, and knowing the kind of person Michelle Gondry is. Like, one of the key fascinating things about the movie wasn't even sort of the characters, though I do think the characters are strong and I think they're well-developed. I just think one of the most fascinating things in the movie is, for me, to realize that this is Michel Gondry working out his shit in a way that you generally don't expect someone as silly and, you know, Mm -hmm. and as whimsical as Michel Gondry to do it. like.
3: And maybe that's and maybe that's where I'm getting getting distances. I didn't really want to be his shrink. You know?
1: like, <laughs> I do, I do. Okay, good for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of my thing. This would. Ne- I mean, no, no. That's this is true. this point. would ne- this is never
2: going to be a, a a crowd pleaser. And I understand. Oh, and I'm not. Yeah. And I'm not saying oh because it's too smart for people. I genuinely oh, yeah, just think yeah. it's too odd well it's and i think it's, str- it's too specific str- and yeah. too and like you said there's, yeah, it's not say, cut it's,
3: it's, yeah it's not even that it's too odd because everything the guy has done shy, shy of, of green horned is odd to some degree i think it's just it's too it's too personal it's it's his own you yeah. might as well publish his diary um and you're either gonna extrapolate something from another person's story or you're not
2: and I know, and, and I understand that. I mean, I feel the same way about David Lynch. I like David yeah. Lynch's. I like David Lynch best when he's like cut, like with, like like Twin Peaks or Blue Velvet, when he's telling a more typical story, but still indulging in sort of his themes and stuff. Like, I think yeah. that's when Lynch is at his best, and when Lynch is unhinged, at his, I think is when it's at worse worst. Which is something similar. I like it. I think I like it
1: when directors are unhinged. I think I love. Crazy balls to the wall stream of consciousness. I, I respect it, but that doesn't mean always mean I like it. Well,
2: okay.
3: Wait, what about like simil- similar similar th- similar ideas uh, like Soderbergh doing Schizopolis, right?
1: Yeah, no, I totally. So, oh, I love.
3: Well, I mean, I think I, I found which I found interesting, but I don't necessarily think is a good movie.
2: I, uh, I I mean it's been a while since I saw Schizopolis, but that's one of my favorite Kron- uh, Soderberg movies.
3: Really?
2: Oh, okay, no, like, I, I mean I, it's, I,
3: I own it because I like he's one of my favorite directors, but it's not the kind of thing that I'd be. like, Hey, I'm going to put on. Schizopolis. I like
2: I like what I like about Schizopolis is I and what I like about Cronenberg's film. I mean Soderberg's <laughs> Soderberg's films in general is that he will strip away a lot of bullshit from stock stories. Like you're going to get. Um, you know there's not a lot of uh, outbreak style histrionics in no. in, yeah, in, I mean, in contagion. Uh, yeah. contagion right and what I like about Schizopolis is it's him removing those sorts of things right? I mean quite literally with the with the question about Im- imminent sustenance. and it's like generic <laughs> greeting received like, that sort of thing, I like that he will strip away things that don't matter mm-hmm. and that strip the things, away the artifice and, yeah, and stripping know. away like what what is everything that the audience takes for granted and doesn't care about they're just only there because you need the bare minimum of accessibility, and what's whatever's left is interesting i like i mean again i don't I don't like wild at heart though. You know, I, I don't. I, oh, there are I sequ- feel
3: so sorry for you. Right there now. are
2: sequence. I think I honestly
1: think that's a horrible movie. I think David Lynch is. It's going to be one of the most. You, that's one it, directors' so club. Silly. That's one directors' club. Everybody's going to want to hear. Yeah, because we're going to have. You know, <laughs> I think we might even take the Brian. I think, Lost, I think
2: Lost Highway is a horrible, uh, another horrible movie. Disagree. Which, I, how can you? I don't. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to de- derail <laughs> this with Lost Highway. But how can you like a movie where a full half of it is not engaging? No, I've never heard anyone successfully defend the Bal Getty half of the movie. I don't think anyone cares about the Balthazar Getty half of the movie, but people defend the movie anyway, despite the like it is, oh, it's over two hours. It's almost two hours, and it is, and there's a full half of it that is boring. Anyway, that's that's a whole other line, Boop.
3: whole other show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
2: you need, I think David Lynch. Patrick, is- Patrick
1: I want to ask you a, a very personal question that probably only pertains to you. Careful, me, he's a shrink. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually, um, you, me, and uh, Carly. Uh, did you watch this with Carly, by the way?
2: Which the science sleep? Uh, the, the the
1: no. Okay. Because there's a moment involving uh after hours by velvet underground yes i was and and kitten singing it and yes it's about adopting was like,
2: kittens uh, that oh, was one of those my god that's so I, cute. that was the moment where i was like oh carly needs to see this movie unfortunately okay,
1: good, good 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 i just want to make sure you by the way you knew uh, that. i just to make sure here's
2: a little fun insight um i live right near a disc replay which is a resale a dvd real resale shop uh here in america in uh in the midwest and uh Uh, And the disc replay I live near, they'll sell movies, you know, DVDs for two eighty eight. Like they're very cheap. Nice. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I can often get movies for either two eighty eight or three ninety nine. Very, very rarely do movies cost more than that. So often, instead of bothering to you know wait for them on Netflix or rent them from the library and stuff, I'll just buy the DVDs because I'm I like collecting DVDs. Um, and, uh, I, I, I've, I've discovered sort of similar to a Madden curse or, uh, or, you know, other curses. If I buy a movie on DVD, um, as opposed to rent it, that is a guarantee that I'm not going to like it. Uh. <laughs> really? <laughs> so uh, like, like, like when we did, uh, Michael Winterbottom, I bought, uh, Code 46. Didn't like that movie. You didn't like that? Ooh, no, dude. I hate, I hate that movie. Um, I bought, I, like it. it's I right. bought Be Kind it, Rewind. See- I did not like that's that's the one
1: I didn't like and, and
3: that's and that's the one that I like more than science of sleep.
1: Ooh, let's talk about it All then right, cuz I think ahead. we're okay. we're pretty uh yeah, we we've wrapped up on science of sleep. I think so. So, I like the one second time machine. What by do you way. the one second, <laughs> one second time machine is great. What do you think okay. of the ending of
2: science of sleep? I like it. What do you I mean what is what is it what is it saying to you? Cuz I mean, I have a very clear idea of what it means, but as mm. we learn from eternal sunshine You know these kinds of endings where you're sort of left to draw your own conclusions. People draw a lot of different conclusions, so
1: no, I feel like I don't know if he's a lost cause or not, but he's sort of floating away in his mind, and I don't know if he's always going to be lost there or not. But he does get some comfort from just being in her presence, I guess. But I don't think they're ever going to come into fruition or anything.
3: Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, I think he—he's it's sort of symbolizing that like he just took his shot and he's. You know, he's he's not going to take that kind of shot again.
2: And the only uh, – yeah, that's how I feel and that the only place he'll ever have her is in his dreams. Yep. Yes. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure. All right. Let's talk about Be Kind Rewind because this is a movie I gave a pass when I first saw it back same in 2008. Here. We basically
1: had the exact same I was, reaction. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was really high on Sweeting, which is something I still really love. Um, yeah, it's so charming. I like Sweeting a lot and I like the idea of it. But I think this movie is – an unmitigated disaster. I think it's easily Michelle... I mean, again, I haven't seen uh, Human Nature, but I think uh, it's his easily his worst movie. Um, I Worse think,
1: than Green Hornet? Yes, okay. absolutely.
2: Whoa. I think Green Hornet mostly... I think Green Hornet is very sadly Michelle Gondry on Autopilot, and... Uh, there's a lot of stuff. That's he's a high, he's a hired gun. There, like it's kind of yeah, exactly.
3: It's it's sort of outside of his canon anyway. There's right? about
2: there's about yeah. There's about like six minutes scattered throughout the film that you can go. Oh, that's Michelle Gondry, and then yeah. the rest of it, and then the rest of it is just is, like him pretending to be a Hollywood director. He's like, what yes. if I pretended to be? But anyway, what I want to say is like, be kind of rewind. Everything works against it. Like it is way too bitter and depressing to work as a like a comedy. But like the casting is. Too bad, and it's too light and weird to work as a drama or a tragedy.
1: Yeah, I don't think most stuff and Jack Black have a and, lot of chemistry together. And then together.
2: as a celebration of you know DIY spirit slash how people you know rewrite their history <laughs> slash indie films versus major studio films. Slash, like there's so many ideas and none of them get developed. And the craziest part to me is like so little of the film is sweeting. Um, Ghostbusters is the only one is the only film that they spend like more than 8 minutes on. They get they get shorter and shorter as they go.
1: Yeah, which is to the kind point where there's just a
2: montage of like single ideas where it's just like, well, what if we do, like like it is it feels so underwritten and I think the casting is horrible. I don't know what most def is trying to do. Like he he is such a weird character in this where it's like, I think so too. He's like, I don't know if he's supposed to be dumb or if he's just supposed to be weird or like be
3: kind of a schlub.
2: Yeah, but it's most deaf. Like that's <laughs> well, that's, that's bad plain, casting. Plain against type. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a reason it's called type. You know. <laughs> um, and then I and it's I think inject- like you,
1: you are racist. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah, day yeah, yeah, well, you
2: know, I well, you. I, I was going. You he, I, he left me here, and Char, you going. Why You gonna be mad? Like it's, <laughs> like it's the weirdest performance. <laughs> And I don't. It's awkward. And I, do, I have no investment in any of the characters. And
1: Jack Black's not funny. No, he's not funny. And he's like Why clearly is he written. And I think, the I think is he's magnetized. Like, I think he's
2: like clearly written. Well, they had to like come up with an, an excuse to have him hold the camera at some point without. Uh, yeah. So they're like, oh, he pees it out. He's like
3: out the magnets. As so well. there are a
2: lot of ideas, and even a lot of things I like, but the way they all come together. Like completely cancels everything out, so it's like less than the sum of its parts. It's I. I
1: like the parts, but they don't come together very. It is. I think it's part of like I don't know. Part
3: of me just the one thing I kind of I kind of had to get a smile about is the fact that the whole story is based around a store that's that's basically catering to people who do not want to move on with technology. Like I I kind of think. I kind of think like and and uh, they don't listen to any of my shit so I'm not worried about it but I kind of think of my parents yeah. you know like I I bought my dad an iPad and he was happy as a pig in shit when he started playing with that thing but he had no interest in ever touching that kind of thing I know lots of people kind of like my parents you have to drag kicking and screaming away from stuff like videotapes like but I, mean, I think Michelle Gondry because,
2: is, is ex- celebrating that spirit, though.
3: Exactly, and that's the thing. Like, it's 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 humorous, it's cute in its own little way, it's endearing. Uh, you know, it's and and that's kind of what I I liked spending time in this little part of. It's not Harlem. Where is it? Was it Harlem? Uh, it's
2: in, uh, Brooklyn. It's, it's Brooklyn.
3: Brooklyn. I'm sorry. Um, I kind of I I liked spending time in this in this part of Brooklyn and and seeing these people who still rent videos.
1: Yeah, there, again, there are elements about it I enjoy. Yeah, and you named one of feel, the elements I, I st- enjoyed, but... I still feel like the uh, I don't know, I mean it, it doesn't work entirely within you know how things progress throughout the movie, but I do like the last act. I like the idea of yeah. a bunch of people in a community coming together to create a project now I, does it work within the movie not so much and I, and I would even say that the
2: idea of let's put on a show is a very old and very well-worn one it's that still isn't Muppets it, 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 that is not and I think it's a I think it's one that's not even best done in Michelle I mean there's nothing in this film that gets me as excited about DIY filmmaking or something or like being imaginative or thinking outside the box as far as camera placement and tricks and stuff like that mm-hmm. as a single like Michelle shell gondry music video i would agree but
3: but at the same time it it did get me more more charmed by diy than than a lot of the stuff in science of sleep science of sleep like the 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 way i see science of sleep not to kind of harp back on it but i kind of see i kind of see it as that girl on the on the subway who's wearing glasses far too big for her because she thinks (laughs) she's kooky
2: no, you know, but it, I think okay, Science of Sleep, but my problem, my problem with that interpretation is the entire thrust of the movie is that I wish I wasn't like this. Like, the entire thrust of the movie uh, of Science of Sleep is so self-hating. And again, that's part of me watching it knowing it's an autobiography, but, like, I don't think that I it feel thinks like it's love and it. it hate colliding. If you,
3: if you don't like that you're wearing the big glasses,
1: take him off the fucking glasses. That's who he is.
2: That's how his brain <laughs> works. <laughs>
3: that's, like, no. I, I don't know I, if that, you... That, that, that's, that, that that's the thing for me is 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 that like if I was like to place them all in steps, neither one of Be Kind yeah. Rewind nor nor Science of Sleep measures up to Eternal Sunshine. Right. Be I, kind, yeah. I I don't know. Be Kind just felt to me a little bit more charming, probably because it is less self hate. I do want to talk about
1: it's, it's more kind. I want
2: to talk about the movie that inspired Be Kind Rewind. Be Kind. You you mentioned this about Science of Sleep about the connection between that and human behavior, where it was just a script in a drawer that he's like, oh, I can sell it. Mm-hmm. This is actually what Be Kind Rewind was because Michelle Gondry did. Dave Chappelle's Block Party, which, which I is think
3: is awesome. I it's think that phenomenal. is one
2: of the greatest concert movies ever. And at the time, there the intersection between Dave Chappelle and Michelle Gondry was not super apparent, but as someone who thinks Chappelle's show is one of the funniest programs ever made, like mm-hmm. one of the reasons that show is so good. I mean, part of it is because Dave has really sharp and wicked satire, but the other thing is he discovers these weird moments um you can tell like he's kind of amusing himself with some of the things he says like his little yeah. weird asides and stuff and there's that wild kind of improv energy and there's I mean, what other what other show would be like, oh, this is my sketch comedy show. It's not a mm-hmm. troupe. It's me. I do all the writing. I do everything. But I'm going to dedicate an entire episode to this story that a cast member told me.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. So, seeing so... Seeing this in the theater and... Uh, are you talking about Dave Chappelle's block party? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, with a friend who, you know, loves this music and I love Michelle Gondry and I love Dave Chappelle. It was like, every, all the elements came together in such a beautiful way and, you know, it. it it, it felt like a celebration. It, it felt is. like and, and like every element they love capturing in this movie, and it feels well, I love, genuine.
2: I love the opening of, of David Shields' Block Party, where it's literally <laughs> two people trying to start a car, and yeah. fucking and the walks biggest up the walks. biggest television star of all time walks up, like, "What's up?" And neither of them are paying attention. And I think that's <laughs> there's no other director in the world who would okay. I have the biggest TV star. Um, The person who has a best-selling DVD of all time, you know, like who is coming off one of the most celebrated seasons of comedy of all time. I'm going to make sure that I spend 15 minutes with this crazy hippie couple that I found who live in an abandoned house. Like no one else would ever do that. They'd be like, no, this needs to be the Dave Chappelle show. But but Michelle Gondry saw that part of Dave and, you know, Dave who contacted Michelle Gondry must have seen that part in himself. You know, and uh, that that is what inspired later, because Dave Chappelle was originally going to be most deaf in no Steph's character in Be Kind Rewind, mm-hmm. which I think if if you just allowed Dave Chappelle to improvise on set, that would have been a thousand times funnier
3: well, so- you can just watch that that scene in chappelle's block party where. You got Moe's deaf on the drums, yeah. And basically, and, and that's they're telling fucking hilarious the worst jo- like like corny, corny you yeah. know, like cat yeah. skills kind of jokes, and and yeah, the two of
2: them playing off each other. I, I, have they have they been in a movie together? Um, I mean, Dave Chappelle hasn't been in many movies. He's been in been in half, he was in Half Baked, he was in Screwed, um, and <laughs> that's then what he I'm was saying. was is, was Moe's in any one of those? Uh, no, no, because uh, um, I mean, they, that, they knew what each like other because because once Dave Chappelle got famous and started doing musical numbers and stuff. Then he sort of was like. Then he was starting attracting people who could guest star, and Most Def was in a lot of Chappelle show. Yeah. yeah. So that's most how Most Def they...
1: is a regular Renaissance man. He plays every instrument. He can yeah. rap. He can act. He's yeah. He's all over the place. Yeah. Um. And uh, rest in peace, Jay Dilla. Yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> um. No. And the, I mean, the performances are great at the time. This was. These were all the rappers I liked the most, and I now I'm sort of like, oh, this is sort of. Like the nostalgic, or no, no. This is sort of like white people rap. (laughs) Where Uh... it's just like it's just like everyone who's like I'm not going to talk about being a thug. I'm going to be positive, which is a very white uh, sort of thing I associate with white kind of rap.
1: I like, yeah,
2: exactly. Which is (laughs) oh shit. Which I think is, but at the same time, the roots are so good. I think Dave Chappelle's Block Party is great. I want to talk. That it's just a phenomenal movie. I want to talk real quick about Green Hornet. Very quick.
1: Uh, <laughs> it, it was a monumental disappointment for me because yeah. I was like, I mean, I knew it was it was out in January. I kind of had my expectations lowered, and I, I assumed that the studios maybe tried to fuck with it a bit and stuff. And you know, I mean. Like I, I do enjoy Seth Rogen. I have to like he hasn't worn out his welcome for me. Um, Thank and, God he's in it because yeah, if I he, mean, were, he sort of safe. if he weren't were charming
2: and like watch and insanely watchable, like this movie would be a total slog. Yeah, but he's
3: yeah, also you know, what, you know what's kind of you know, actually in the beginning. Yeah, what, what's what's kind of funny actually about Green Hornet is that it's kind of the opposite of for me of uh, science asleep. This is. A, a, a project that kept Gondry too too much on the leash. Yeah, it's you know they, they they needed to let him out a little bit more. Did you guys see? um Do you guys see the Angley Hulk? Yeah, I didn't I did not. Okay, he he does some cool things. Like it's a mess. It's not something I, I would say you need to go out and see. It's it's a big steaming mess but it's an interesting does, mess <laughs> yeah he does some cool things with transitions he does some cool things with angles with cuts and that kind of thing and that was what gondry needed to that's what they needed to let gondry bring yeah to i said him. They needed i expected to him that to bring some style some very very pulpy
2: style to what is a really really narrow story and which is like the most boilerplate superhero mm-hmm. story Pretty yeah. much every time that Christoph uh, Waltz is having fun, Christoph Waltz is having a lot of fun, and it's act- I love his character and his character's art, despite the fact that it sort of gets the short stick. Yeah. Um, in, in, Jodnofsky, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Bloodnofsky, and the way yeah. he tries to do is like catchphrase like four yeah. different times. Um, I love You're giving
3: me a lot to think about. Now, that's, uh, that's my favorite line, this,
2: of- and this is something I originally was attributing to the fact that Michelle Gondry doesn't know how to direct. Like simple dialogue scenes, okay. like there. If you think about, it, there aren't a lot of scenes in Eternal Sunshine that aren't stylistic and different in some way. There's not a lot of
1: straight scenes like that, except the train where there's just. Talking. No, no,
2: even that. Even that, I think, is shot like a silent movie, mostly of the, yeah. the, the with the mise en scène and stuff. Like, and this movie is too regular for him. But at the same time, um, like it's almost like he's afraid of close-ups in this movie. But I do wonder how much of that was the fact that he was sh- not shooting in 3D, but he was shooting for 3D, um, how hmm. much that affected him. Is it s-
3: intentional from the get-go? I thought it was a was post-conversion. Was
2: these- yeah, No, no, it was, it, was, it was a post-conversion, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't intentional um that, no, I mean, but that's
3: my question like did hmm. they slap it on after or did they tell him hey we're gonna, so. do, we're gonna do this after the fact when so I could, make sure you leave some i don't i don't, I don't know the, i don't
2: know i don't know the exact history but i do know that i heard michelle gondry 3d and i I'm a, I'm a person who hates 3d movies yeah. but i was like yeah. okay if anyone is going to do something interesting with 3d it. it's michelle yeah. gondry and he did he it did not. but i mean to be fair he didn't shoot in 3d but at the same time like but so I remember hearing about Michelle Gondry and 3D at the same time. So I believe it was pretty early on that it was going to be 3D. I do
1: like the the fight scene where they destroy a room. And as anybody knows, I like room destroyed. No, scenes. I talk about this the- too. I
2: love I love rooms being destroyed. That was that was funny. Um, sure. I I think the fact that uh, Cato pretty much did all of his dialogue phonetically kind of hurt any possible <laughs> chemistry. Yeah, I would have loved if it was uh, Stephen Chow who directed and starred as Cato because Stephen Stephen Chow of Kung Fu Hustle, right, right, who's amazing. Like he dropped out because they had disagreements and stuff. But um, that's a, I think that's a great movie. I mean, I think it's Kung Fu, Kung Fu Hustle that is, and I think he would have been interesting um, as is. I think uh Jay Chow, I believe. Uh C H O U instead of O W. Um he he's fine. He's yeah. He's kinda funny at parts, but he's this weird thing where they like don't establish who the hell his character is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Oh man. No, that movie's a real mess. And also I thought it was funny that seventeen it's 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 been seventeen years since Here the Mask we go. It's been seventeen years since the mask came out and they're still trying to tell us like, oh my God, Cameron Diaz is so hot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> i'm just I'm, i did like if i did this is, i did like the fact that this movie brought up now the kind of opposite to uh to eternal sunshine this
2: movie brought up how old she was yeah but it, it brought up how old she was but then it was immediately followed by like three minutes of oh she's so hot she's the look hottest thing butt. i've ever seen look look at, at her god butt. like even yeah. you know, she did that
1: in the Oscar. like just look at my butt that's all she seems to do
2: Right and I mean in Charlie's I, Angels Look at my butt There's the part where Kato uh, flicks like the pen Into the cup yeah. And she gets all yeah. excited And I think that is The only thing that Cameron Diaz is good at Is like making her mouth Be really huge And being like Ah Like she's ha- <laughs> Like if Like if she had a bit part In a movie As like a kindergarten teacher Who's super excited About someone coloring In the lines Like that'd be great That'd be the perfect casting No yeah. uh, She's perfect in Vanilla <laughs> Sky That's about it She's fine in Vanilla I like I think she's good in Vanilla Sky But um let me Call back to our first episode uh, oh yeah um no so green hornet's a total disappointment but you can't even say it's
1: a gondry movie now does it? yeah. he has another movie in the works um which i know about it's called the we and the i and it's about time travel yeah little kids uh go little kids go on a time travel adventure So um, I don't know if it's a family movie or not. uh,
2: I don't know. Is this a a, – looking at the cast, this doesn't look like a Hollywood or American movie. I don't believe it is. Oh, it says it's filmed in the Bronx. So I'm going to guess it's just an independent film. I'm hoping this is another – this is – I mean – Sorry, everybody, but I'm hoping this is another science of sleep instance where he's playing to his strengths and not being forced to rein in uh, what makes him a great filmmaker.
3: Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, I think the fact that he's doing this, mm-hmm. it, what it sounds like outside of the system, means that he's he's doing what he does best. Now, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm sounding like a broken record by now, but I hope he's doing this, like, that he's adapting a story rather than he's writing his own story. Because I, I just, I really, he, really he think wrote the screen,
2: he, he wrote the screenplay with two other people. Uh, Uh, okay maybe Uh, uh, okay we'll see this is both of them this is both their first film uh Um, one of the writers uh, mm -hmm. is one of the writers was did joel's sketchbook um on eternal sunshine that that's one of his only other credits he he was the creator of joel's sketchbook so let me just let me just state for the
1: record that I, i I feel like I need to bring this up because I felt so proud of myself. It's one of those rare moments in my life where I literally pat myself on the back. But after I read this book called Master of Space and Time by Rudy Rucker, which is one of my top ten favorite books, it's a brilliant science fiction movie or book about the manipulation of reality and what it means when you have that ability, and it's really, really quirky, surreal, and absurd. The moment I put this book down, I said, this has to be adapted by Michel Gondry. And then within like six months, I check IMDb and it says Master of Space and Time to be directed by Michel Gondry. I freaked out. And I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I just, it's no longer listed on IMDb. No, it was for a good period of time, and I th- always thought it was going to be his next movie, but I don't know. I don't know if the rights will ever be acquired or whatnot. But and if after, it happens, I'll be ecstatic, because it's an amazing book.
2: After the wee in the eye, he has a movie called The Foam of Days, and uh, dig this plot synopsis. A woman suffers from an unusual illness caused by a flower growing
1: in her lungs. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I think I'm gonna like it. Yeah. I think
2: I think a flower will grow on the lungs, and it's like we are plants, and she's made of plants. Sounds like... like
1: most deaf as Michelle Gander.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm nothing if not a master impressionist.
1: All right, you know it's funny because I was gonna say if uh, we couldn't get a guest, and I, I can't thank you enough, Ryan, for for coming on the show last minute. It was great. I've...
3: I've I've had a few guests cancel on me last minute, so uh, anytime I can pitch in like this, I consider it podcasting karma.
1: Thank you so much. I oh, I, my I, pleasure. I had this horrible idea of doing something that a podcast I don't find very funny, comedy Bang Bang does. I was going to have Patrick B a uh, third guest, um, <laughs> have him like imitate E forty or uh, somebody. Uh, and just be like... Or, you know, or, I really, really like the uh, Michelle Gondry's or movies. Steven,
2: or Steven Soderbergh. I could do what Steven Soderbergh did for the Schizopolis yeah. commentary. I, I was going to say,
3: you might have just, just given me an idea for the next time I can't get a guest. I'll just yeah. know I That's, see who That's, and that,
2: that strikes me as a very Michelle Gondry thing to do. Is oh, to sure. Play, to, to play two parts. All right.
1: Yeah, great Great work. I was, this is was a hell of an episode. No, no, thank I you I like reviewing much, our episodes at yeah. the end of the show now. <laughs> hey, you know what? A... Hey, I give this episode a four point five out of five. Yeah. All right.
2: <laughs> um, you can you can uh, check us out on uh, directorsclubpodcast.com. com, and you
1: can send us an email directorsclubpodcast at gmail We're on Twitter at, at DC Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Patrick Repol, and I'm at Twitter at Instant Jim. How about and- you, Ryan?
3: I'm on Twitter as matinee underscore CA, and you can find the main website at uh, www.thematinee.ca.
1: I encourage everybody to check out that show. Absolutely. It's very good. And uh, I'm going to – I got to be a subscriber, I yeah. believe. Ah, I should, yeah, I gotta, how about that? Oh, yeah. I do uh, – I also, I also want I
3: think that makes an even six.
2: Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to point out real quick. Uh, I have a viewing journal at marthamarcynashandyoung.wordpress.com. <laughs> I'm sorry
3: I did not know that. I'm, that is uh yeah. that's an awesome name. Thank you for I, that. I no agree. problem. It's,
2: it's really cool. You're well Hey, that <laughs> you know what? That's my gift to the world.
1: There we go. And my gift to the world is find me at letterbox cuz I think that's a really cool website. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I don't know if it's going to catch on, but um, uh, a lot of movie nerds are there. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's you can All find right. like me giving really short reviews. But um, what's next, uh, Patrick? Next, we're going to be covering the
2: winner of the readers listeners poll. I should say, uh, maybe 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 someone else transcribes it for you, and you like to read the podcast. But most people listen to it. The listeners poll of what director we should cover uh, beat James Whale by a narrow margin. That would be Catherine Bigelow.
1: Yeah, poor Bobcat Goldthwaite didn't get one vote. That's fine. <laughs> but no, Catherine Bigelow. I'm thrilled. Um, yeah. I think she's a great director and. Uh, I'm not sure what two movies we're going to do, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to watching all of our movies. i thinking at the moment, I'm thinking Point Break and Near Dark, to. That's, that's what I was going to say. You
3: don't right. want to touch Hurt Locker?
1: I like Hurt Locker, I, li- I but really like it a lot, and I want to rewatch I it. I really do. I'm, I got the Blu-ray, so I'm thrilled. Very nice. Um, yeah, no, that's. I'm looking forward to that episode. We'll have a guest on, we'll, we'll just figure do, it out.
2: We'll just do two hours, 30 minutes on Is it- Blue Steel.
1: <laughs> hey i kind of like blue steel
2: i'm, I'm excited
1: to just watch it anyway till next Sail time past k
3: 19 yeah. yeah
1: thanks again ryan uh we'll definitely have you back on soon I hope. absolutely yeah
3: my pleasure guys anytime
1: all right uh we'll see you all later and join us in a couple weeks for katherine bigelow goodbye change your heart
2: look around see hammer video for can't touch this is with just his
1: pants or... <laughs> I don't remember the...
3: the best Radiohead video is still Change
1: Just oh yeah that's... <laughs> I, had for... I had forgotten all about that
3: oh no that, that's what, what do, do you think remember. it was
2: what do you think
3: I, I never I never want to know
0: and I need like the sunshine Jennifer Connelly is pretty
2: Never let me go Got 60 seconds or blow
0: mm-hmm.
2: Jackie Brown and how do you know Or we could just watch TV And watch Mork and Mindy X-Files or Downton Abbey It's what? We watched this week. If you
0: watch this. <laughs> Blu-ray or DVD. <laughs> on the DC podcast. Netflix or just TV. On the DC podcast.